Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. All right, boys. You know, we record doing this. Oh, man. Oh, 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 wow. 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 Big stuff. Yes. Uh, So today's episode is a classic example of having to go through Marcus's mind. Great. In order to get to what. The rest of us like. I got my raincoat on. <laughs> yes, please do. I got my nice shoes. I, I, no, no. You wearing your nice shoes? The nice shoes. I don't wear my mind. Jays <laughs> in Marcus's mind. No, no, they're they're two cut up avocados. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. you're just talking about just feet coverings that you're calling mm. shoes for Marcus's brain. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I would recommend sturdy shoes. I would as well. It's um, quite rocky. Craggy. It it's craggy in there. Craggy. Yeah, craggy. I think it would be wet, to be honest. <laughs> like, wet and craggy. Yeah. It's like the coast of Iceland. Either mm. way, I hope your fucking mind cloaca is ready for a bunch of 100-year <laughs> wars data. Because yeah. we got to get through it to get to the good stuff. It's not getting through it. It's getting to talk about it. How much it's are we going to talk about shovels? Are we talking about no shovels? shovels. <laughs> except for shovels that are used inside of little girls. Oh my it's a long goodness. Story. All right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left everyone. Ben hanging out with Henry yeah. and Marcus. Today's episode, I think this is fantastic because we're getting back to our French roots. Oh yeah, we've mm-hmm. always been we've always said we began French. I love the French. Uh, currently going through a bit of upheaval. They're always going through a bit just, of an upheaval. I, let's that, get into a, That is France's national identity. Let's get into some upheaval of the past. <laughs> Gilles de Ray. That's who we're talking about today. You did a good job. Thank the you. French version of George. <laughs> I'm not sure. But Marcus also did good in the entire outline mm-hmm. where he wrote out phonetically the French. I every see that. single French name, every single French location. It has all been written phonetically so as to not 
gained the ire of the people who care how I speak French. Absolutely. And of course, he did spell out the words Gerard Depardieu, G-R-O-P-E-R for groper. <laughs> That's really good. That's really, He's really a bit of a good. Groper. And a bit of a tinkler. But for all of you guys. <laughs> I don't want to know what that means. He, he pissed in an airplane. We Is all know. That right? He pissed yes. himself on an airplane after drinking too much red wine. At least he wasn't sober. <laughs> <laughs> but those are for all of you clamoring for blood. It's coming. It's all coming. All right. Gilles de Ray was a 15th century French medieval nobleman who reputedly tortured, raped, and murdered hundreds of children in some of the most brutal ways imaginable in the castles on his many estates. And that's the only way to do it. As far as I'm concerned, is that the only way it's kind of appropriate is if you have many, many castles oh. and many, many estates. I thought right. you were talking about the way he in which he murders. Like, you really don't want to do it tenderly. You want to make sure you do it brutally. Brutally. No, he was talking about the real estate angle of all this, and that's what we really want to get into, these prices. Well, Gilles is a story reminiscent of a Game of Thrones books, one of decadence, palace intrigue, backstabbing, wide-scale slaughter, yeah. plagues, heroes, martyrs, murders, and black magic. Yeah, I, thought you, I thought you were going to say, and boobs. Oh, <laughs> There well. are actually boobs here. Well, if, yeah. if boobs come up. Uh, no, uh, yeah, adult boobs. Okay, Teenage boobs. <laughs> well, with inflation, they're adult boobs. French roots. That's what this entire episode is about, is our French roots. Yeah. Now, Gilles de Ray has been said by some to be the basis of the Bluebeard fairy tale, which first appeared in written form in Charles Perrault's 1697 story collection called Tales of Mother Goose. It was a heavy story for Mother Goose. Yeah. Absolutely a heavy story for Mother Goose. And you try to tell your wife that you weren't eating out of Smurf. You come home with a blue beard. That's funny. Again, <laughs> funny stuff. Funny or you're stuff. addicted to silver nitrate. Oh. <laughs> yeah, colloidal silver. And this, of course, is where we also get the modern versions of Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and Little Red Riding Hood. Mother Goose sanitized these versions for children so as to avoid scenes such as the one in the original tale where Little Red Riding Hood does a strip tease for the wolf as a last resort. I mean, that's oh. what I, that's my play. Yeah. It, if I'm trapped in a room with a wild wolf, like a <laughs> snarling dog, it's always important to get good and naked <laughs> so that that wolf looks at you, I think, and understands for a second, Arr. That's an animal, too. Yes, indeed. And, <laughs> and if you get hard at yeah. it, they back down. <laughs> Absolutely correct, Henry. And don't forget the new Pixar movie, Little Red Riding Hood, about the talking clitoris that could. <laughs> wow. I'm Save on fire today. Stuff. Save I am so hungover for my own stupidity. <laughs> no, in that version of the story, uh, it doesn't work. The strip tease doesn't work. And the wolf eats everything except for her arms. Cool. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, it, well, all these stories come with a moral. And the moral of that one is trying to discourage women from sex work. I that do. If you try to strip your way in front of the wolf, the wolf will eventually eat you. Well, I think that actually is an important lesson to learn just because the wolf will eat you. But mm -hmm. at the same time, be naked when you're dead. <laughs> I think that's important. Die naked. Go for it. Share I, it. I agree. Now, the Mother Goose version of Bluebeard is actually no less violent than the original version of Little Red Riding Hood. In that version, a nobleman with a hideous blue beard attempts to murder his newlywed wife for disobeying his orders to not look in one particular closet while he's away on business. Very Johnny, uh, uh, John Wayne Gacy of him. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. She, of course, looks and finds that the closet is full of the corpses of Bluebeard's previous wives, who had all been killed for looking into the closet full of corpses of previous wives who had also looked into the closet. 
They just all, oh, it's just a constant vicious cycle. <laughs> What's the moral here? <laughs> Don't look in rooms. Okay. <laughs> but just as Bluebeard is about to decapitate his latest wife, her brothers appear and save her, and she thereafter remarries to a kinder man and lives happily ever after. Not one of the brothers. No. No. Fantastic. But the interesting thing... <laughs> No, these stories, honestly, story. they can take weird turns. They really oh, can. very much so. And then, yeah, she gets double teamed by all of her brothers. I guess quadruple teamed by her entire family. And then all of a sudden, like, what book is this? Mother mm -hmm. Who's? Thanks. Absolutely. And it's like, you're going to go to grandma's house today. Hi, I'm grandma. I'm also your mom. <laughs> um, I don't understand. Fire. I, that one, I don't understand. Because I'm also, she would be the grandmother I'm, and the mother if she was tag teamed by her own brothers. <laughs> Yeah. Right? You know what? Yeah, that does make the incense yeah. man work out. Yeah. 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 No, I follow you. As soon as you're coming in a family member, just call her up. <laughs> but the interesting thing about Bluebeard in relation to our man Gilles de Ray is that Gilles never murdered a wife, nor did he have a blue beard. While Gilles is often referred to as Bluebeard in modern times, to the point where both of our main sources for this series have Bluebeard in the title, the stories have nothing to do with each other. There's no historical basis for Gilles de Ray being related to Bluebeard. More likely, Bluebeard was based on a Dark Ages ruler named Connemar the Cursed. Yeah, that's Whoa. fucking sweet. Yeah. That is cool. And yeah. this is where history's cool. Yeah. Because you guys find these guys, like, these are he's a literal guy who took the nickname the cursed you know what i mean like you have to be like truly very difficult man yeah absolutely yeah connemore the cursed roamed the forests of Brittany as a werewolf after death and later served as a spectral ferryman for the breton river where he absconded with christian souls whoa that's what do you cool think, like in a game of telephone of history what do you think people would say about us and what we are like and what do we do in an allegorical sense henry the pork dweller <laughs> oh, pork dweller! Yes. Well, one possible explanation for Gilles de Ray's connection to Bluebeard is that both he and Connemore the Cursed were from Breton, and over the years, the name Bluebeard may have just become a byword for any cruel French nobleman who delighted in the murder of innocents. Uh, also, there, I think the one similarity is, as we'll go through all of the many accounts of what the actual quote-unquote crimes of Gilles de Ray, which we will cover all mm -hmm. angles of it, uh, but... The, I think the concept that he had bodies hidden in his home. Yeah. I think that is probably, that is the one direct connection. Had a lot of bodies hidden in his home. And there were a yeah. lot of bodies around where he was. Right. Could, wherever Gilles de Ray was, you would find a lot of bodies of dead children stuffed into pipes, burnt sure. in, you know, gigantic piles, funeral pyres. Hey, I, this just sounds like a coincidence to me. <laughs> I, it does seem like he has a, a more than a, he has an unusual amount of child corpses are surrounding him. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you don't really want to be Bill Clinton's best friend. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. They die. Now, we actually have no idea when Gilles de Ray began murdering the peasant children that he either kidnapped or bought from their parents. But during his trial, he was accused of spending the previous 14 years of doing so. He did, however, correct the court saying that he'd actually only been murdering for eight years. See, that's how oh you know God. he's a murderer. When he, <laughs> when he has to do the thing where he's like, um, actually, about his own series of, of, a, of a generation of child rape. He's a nerd. He is. <laughs> wow. He took, he's like, yeah, if you take a look at my Reddit profile, I think you'll know I started murdering eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> look at how many times I've gotten gold for murdering children. Yes, come at it. <laughs> Why can't I be like you? <laughs> but to that point, we also have no idea how many murders Gilles de Ray actually committed. At the low end, 
Estimates put his body count at around 140. Dang, that's the low end? That's the yes. low end. Okay. The more sensational accusations have Gilles murdering almost a thousand children. I mean, at, at that point, though, how are you doing anything else? <laughs> yes, if seriously. Thousands of children now are like, okay, all right, buddy. That's literally overkill. Did he hold down a job this whole time? He was a bit of a gadabout. During some of this time, he did have a job as a soldier, which we'll get into, but he was a nobleman. Their entire lives were based around decadence and showing how decadent they really could be. He was also a a, a, a theatrical producer for a little while. Uh, we'll and a wizard. Yeah, yeah, he had a lot of different hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, a he wizard. Did. Hobby. Yeah, it's vanity hobbies. So yeah, that you could describe a serial killing as as a vanity hobby. Ooh, I wonder was... how many people Russell Brand has killed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait a year until that becomes a marketable thing that he can say on his podcast. <laughs> Well, what we know from testimony during Gilles' trial, however, is that the sheer number of victims and the freedom he exercised in their killing, it allowed for an escalation of cruelty and gruesome experimentation not seen outside of Dennis Rader's wildest fantasies. Because again, Dennis Rader didn't have the institutional family money it would take to make these giant fantasies come true. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what it comes down to. It's, it's about investing your money correctly. And that's yeah. why we here at Robin Hood Investments really think that <laughs> right. if you want to build, mm -hmm. build up your opportunities for right. child murderer mm -hmm. by thinking about tomorrow today. Integrated marketing. <laughs> Integrated marketing complete. Good job. I, we don't, they don't even cover us. They dropped us years ago. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah they did. But I mean, with Robin Dennis, Hood's a scam anyway. Yeah, fuck those pieces of fucking shit. <laughs> also, Robin Hood back. stole from the rich and gave to the poor. But like Robin Hood, that means they're going to take all my money and then give it to someone else. Mean. <laughs> On fire today. On uh, fire. Fire. But I mean, to the point of Dennis Rader, when Dennis Rader was a child and when he was an adult, he would draw these elaborate like peepee dungeons. Yes. And like, you know, when he would, you know, draw these huge, like, you know, uh, silos with the, where trains would come and like run over women. But slowly, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, they did the same thing. The mm -hmm. giant descriptions of, of massive torture castles mm -hmm. yeah. and like in underground bunkers filled yeah. with rape rooms. Gilles de Ray did that. Like he made all of that a reality. Now, but of course, there's also debate as to how much of that is true. Yeah. Did any of that really happen? I mean, of course, all of this is well documented. His trial was well documented. Where they found the bodies was well documented. And that's the thing is that this story, this is not some Dark Ages tale. This is not rumor or legend. Our story occurred during the Hundred Years' War. It heavily involves none other than Joan of Arc. Yeah, she shows up. And I got to say, terrible haircut, great <laughs> attitude. Absolutely <laughs> legendary. But if all the tales of DeRay's savagery were invented solely for the trial, then it would not be a stretch to say that 15th century France was home to some of the most imaginative gore hounds this side of Herschel Gordon Lewis. It's Seriously. almost like there was a hundred year war that they lived through. It was like they saw a lot of blood. Yeah. They saw a lot of violence personally. Just the people of France mm -hmm. saw a lot of shit. And that would continue for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It feels like because, again, this came from it was like plague. Hundred years where all of this stuff is all happening all at the same time. So it was a very violent time period. And Gilles de Ray, that's why we don't know whether or not people are mixed spinning fantasies out to do a political hit, which mm -hmm. we'll kind of discover and we'll talk about the basis of eventually. Uh but the or is it just because guys like Gilles de Ray came about and kind of utilized a world of mass violence and kind of lived amongst it in a way that was how they, they were ready for and loved and embraced. Seems mm -hmm. like Mr. Gilles DeRay needs to have a one-on-one -on -one interview with Oprah. 
and really clear the air. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, Shield Array with its 15-year-old Joan of Arc just seeing visions next to <laughs> Oprah. They're 15 feet apart, COVID. And it's so nice that they're in the middle of her giant bunker and uh-huh. they got drones in and out. But again, they don't really want attention, but they have a lot of cameras there at the same time. But before we get into the whole story, let's acknowledge our sources. For this three Maybe four-part historical extravaganza. Yeah, they recovered a lot of ground in this show. Yeah. We have Gilles de Ray, a biography of Bluebeard by Jean Benedetti. Benedetti. Benedetti and Bluebeard by Leonard Wolf. And don't worry, all ye well actuallys out there, we will get to the Gilles de Ray's innocent rebuttal at the end of the series. Yes, we will. Now, as opposed to the dark ages of Connemore the Cursed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I won the lottery, but I lost the ticket. Damn <laughs> <laughs> this nickname. Gilles de Ray was a Middle Ages nobleman who lived through and fought in the third phase of the Hundred Years' War against England and the hated Burgundians of France. I hate you, Burgundians! Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the way that they are just constantly throwing rotten fruit at you. I yeah, hate be a Burgundian. Because like, you know what's bad about stinky old fruit? Ain't wine yet. Mm. Bring it to me when it's wine, please. <laughs> but of course, here at Burgundians, kids under eight eat free. So don't worry about it. Also, if you have the gout... Half off. Half, Half off. off. Here at Burgundians. <laughs> well, by the time Gilles de Ray was born, the Hundred Years' War had already been ebbing and flowing for 67 years. Oh, it's only 67%. It's 67% done, and you only got 33% left. A little less than 67%, actually, because it actually lasted for 116 years. What the Dang. living fuck? Yeah, Why is lot. we not doing a whole episode about that? The 116-year war doesn't really sound good. Yeah. That's dumb. dumb. That's dumb. 100 years, that's perfect. Well, it was three phases. It kind of been kept alive through squabbles between France and England and sometimes... Between France and France. But France wasn't France. France was half England. Yeah. Well, I will get into that. <laughs> oh, man. I don't understand. I'm excited. <laughs> this is one of these wars that, like, it's... That's why I was like, with Marcus, as we were doing the production call, I was like, this week, it's all about you explaining to me and Kissel what is happening. <laughs> well, I think I've done a passable job. All right. Let's get into it. But as it goes during warfare, both medieval and modern, and as it went with the victims of Gilles de Ray, those who bore the brunt of the violence and horror in the Hundred Years' War were the people caught in between. Yeah, man. So is the turkey in the sandwich. It gets the teeth. Absolutely. That's a fantastic saying. I like it. It really is. Yeah, really just made good. it up. Yeah. That's fan. I hope you did. Yeah. Because if you stole that from someone. Yeah, I stole it from a very stupid man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the armies of both sides of the Hundred Years' War regularly turned the French countryside into a blood-soaked, plague-ridden horror show of desolation and death, filled with rotting cattle and deserted villages populated only by the skeletons of the people who once lived there. The only skeletons live here, man! (laughs) It's like Williamsburg in New York. It does sound like that. All right, really fun. Did they ever think about picking up the skeletons and maybe moving them? Why? Because you want to build a house or no, something. No, because all that's <laughs> going to happen is, is next day, yeah, the French just pushed through. Next day, British are going to push 
push through. You're just going to have to fucking pick up skeletons. skeletons. That's why I don't make the bed. I yeah. see. This is like when you know you're going to start a bender on Friday, so you're like, yeah, fuck it. I won't clean my house till Sunday. Because <laughs> what's the point? I'm <laughs> just going to tear this in a fucking self-hatred-filled rage yeah. just again and again and again. Why clean? Gotcha. And if I'm going to go on a bender on Friday, why do I really need to put in effort on Thursday? And then if Thursday oh. really isn't going to be a big deal, then Wednesday might as well be out the window either. Yeah, what the fuck am I doing Wednesday? Well, Wednesday, if I don't give a shit, Tuesday. <laughs> lucky you don't even get me out of bed for less than 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making really valid points here. <laughs> but the armies were only the half of it. Peasants also had to contend with the mercenaries, the land pirates, the free knights, all of whom plundered villages for food, supplies, and kidnappings. Land pirates just sound like they're in ship formation, but they're too poor to have a ship. <laughs> Keep going. Get those oars going, boys. <laughs> they're just like stuck in grass. Captain, should we find water, please? Oh, are you to the plank with you? And then oh. He just jumps six feet to the ground. Well, kidnappings and pillaging, that was how most of these men, including the official French soldiers, that's how they derived their pay. Yeah. In fact, it was considered respectable for a professional soldier to hold people for ransom to fill their pockets. This isn't a reminder to mm. the audience of when you are, we, you know, we're in this period of time where we're a little bit more self-conscious than we would have been in the past about, like, and, and have this knowledge. So we're always like, end of the world is happening right now when it's actually um the world used to be like way more dangerous <laughs> yeah. and yeah. this concept of like weaponizing looting because i use that civ civ, obviously, civ six yeah. is extremely important when you're doing a domination run right mm -hmm. because you got to get those guys in there you get calvary in there going really fast they rip up all the natural resources so you cripple them supply sure. wise then you gape them from the back you come <laughs> from back they don't even fucking expect all of a sudden siege towers or on the fucking unoccupied lands around them and they had no fucking clue that you were coming until it was too late if yeah. you went back in time and just told Gilles de Ray that story but didn't say that you learned all that through a video game you could have become a general I would have been a general and that's <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. how I view this. All this, I'm like, yes. Every single time I read about medieval like war <laughs> strategy, I'm like, yes, very good. I did use that in the campaign of 2019. When yes. I went to the torture museum in uh, when we were in Italy, uh, you know the one that you stand up and they shut the door and it's got a bunch of spikes in it. Mm -hmm. I was too tall <laughs> for the oh, Iron Maiden. Yeah, well, yeah they so I just, think they would they went to done that to they me. They would have beat you to death. I oh, think they would have yeah. stabbed you with a bunch of swords. I went to one Italian torture museum that was fucking awful. I was just in this room and then this slat opened up and it was just this guy eating delicious spaghetti on the other and side you of the to and it, I sure. even though I kept slamming my face and getting uh, and like rubbing yeah. up against yeah. it. You, was went to a, you went to a, an Italian jerk off theater. <laughs> an Italian jerk off booth where you just watch it's a paper booth. Someone it's eat. a paper booth. Yes. Right from your grave. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. Um, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses 
filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay, because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need square space to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt. And not only are you going to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale entire series, clothes and non-clothes, what we also are going to offer, and I mean this, we're trying to get into giraffe rides. I brought this up the other day. We got to start riding other animals but horses. Take pictures of the horses. Photoshop the horses into other celebrities, but stop riding them. Save a horse. Ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape design, and how best to take care of your plants. I love fast growing trees because i just moved here to los angeles i got a yard now and i'm doing all the landscaping myself i love working in my garden i love planting stuff i love growing stuff and the cool thing about fast growing trees that i really like is that they tell you exactly what type of growing zone you're in i'm in growing zone 10 and they can tell you exactly what type of trees or plants, or whatever you can put out in front of your house. Uh, I'm looking at the Norfolk Island pine tree. I'm looking at putting a little bit of red sister cordyline up in front of my fence. I think that the red will really pop nice. And maybe for the backyard, I got an extra planter that I might put a pl Satsuma plum tree in. And these prices are reasonable. They're reasonable if you've ever been to a nursery. But right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. And the reason why life was so chaotic... This could all be traced back to what else but the Black Plague. It had killed a third of the population of France between 1347 and 1352. Oof. And when you combine that with the body count in the Hundred Years' War, it's estimated that France lost half of its population in the 14th century. Dang. That is to say, the central government of France hadn't even come close to recovering by the time Gilles de Ray was born. By the time of Gilles de Ray, France was more of a collection of individual leaders who levied their own taxes, coined their own currency, and enforced their own laws. Isn't that also kind of what happened in Italy? I have no idea. We'll get on to that. <laughs> I'm not going to say yes nor no. I don't know I have either. not studied Italy. I don't even know what 
time period you're talking about. Italy is shaped like a boot. That's that's <laughs> where I'm at right now. Italy is shaped like a boot. And France is shaped like a butt that's sitting down. Oh. Ooh. The way I could kind of describe it is that imagine if all 50 states were their own small, like the, if states' rights were taken to their extreme sure. and America was just a loose confederacy uh, and every time we went to war, the president would have to go to every single state and like beg them to join in on the war and often mm. pay them to do so. Yes. Oh, you can get someone to go to war so easy nowadays. It's almost too easy. <laughs> I, I mean, but the guys that are volunteering real hard, like too easily, you don't want them. That's the problem. Cause that is the problem. A lot of them are just human body shields because they're just like, 250 pounds of fucking Applebee's batter with yeah. a bunch of AR-15s that they bought from the fucking from the tour web yeah. and now they're just yeah. kind of spotting them up. I yeah. heard they're very easy to use. They mm-hmm. are easy to use and the new ads for the um for the army are hilarious because they recognize how fat and lazy we all are yeah. and they're literally just like, you like to play video games, right? <laughs> Ever want to fucking kill somebody? <laughs> yeah! Well, You're in. Well, in France, there was a king. Yes, kind of. But France was by no means unified, and marauding bands of brigands pillaged, raped, and stole their way across the country without fear of reprimand because the nobles cared very little for the peasants, even though that was supposed to be their whole fucking point, also, was to protect the people. Yeah, but also seems like the uh, the nobles sort of kind of understood, like, if we get in the way in the armies, they'll kill us too. Right. right? And yeah. so they probably just go like, they're just in their castles just going like, Looks bad out there. <laughs> right. It's like watching shit happen. Like, ooh, ooh, don't do that. Ooh. Well, likewise, the military commanders of France at this time, who answered more to the nobles who paid them than to the king at court, they were no better than bandits. Hmm. And in fact, Gilles de Ray is one of those noblemen. He was no more, no less brutal than his contemporaries on the battlefield. He truly was a man of his times. Mm-hmm. For French nobles, the point of war was not service to God or country, but rather the collection of more wealth, more land, and more everything. Well, and more bones! More bones! <laughs> and they, well, it's because it's destabilized, right? So they all are kind of acting as if they are their own mini kingdoms. So yeah. everybody is taking whatever resources that aren't nailed down to kind of protect themselves from each other. I mean, that's a very generous way of looking at it. To I'm say just saying, I'm saying as a man who is, again led many campaigns in medieval Europe. Mm-hmm. I understand Again. why one would do as yeah. such. And as a man who sees very much the parallels between this and, say, modern times, that it seems like a bunch of assholes in gigantic castles hoarding wealth like a bunch of fucking dragons for no reason other than that they have a mental illness that fucking makes them collect wealth above all and fuck the people. That is more of an ungenerous view yes. of the same circumstances. <laughs> Italy. Isn't it shaped like a boot? <laughs> Isn't it, though? <laughs> Isn't I won't tell you wrong. Like I boot. won't tell you you're wrong. Yes. I mean, this was all in service of a pointless decadence that would lead straight to the guillotine a couple of centuries later in the French Revolution for these fucking useless noblemen. Guillotine! But back in the 15th century, this meaningless indulgence at the top seemed to encourage the base instincts of the soldiers on the ground. Here, in my best Dan Carlin history voice, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, it's gonna be good. It's gonna is be a description good. of the horrors that a peasant in the 15th century had to look forward to when soldiers were spotted on the horizon. Now, we will need some light, sort of like history channel filler when we, in post, when it's something that really yeah, fills this out. Something real uh, nice. Absolutely not. When Dan Carlin wow. speaks, Dan Carlin speaks into silence because the words must be appreciated. I thought Dan Carlin didn't like talk for like five years and then talked a lot. And well, then talk, it seems like, like it's more the opposite that he's talking a little bit over those five years, one day at a time. Yeah. We'll say like one sentence into a microphone and go, 
<laughs> work done for the day and then just go back he's, he's living a, a charmed life I, yeah. I love him he's living a wonderful life absolutely right, they took women and children without difference of age or sex raping the women and girls they killed the husbands and father in the presence of their wives and daughters they took nurses and left the children behind so that they died for want of food so good Marcus thank you they took pregnant women and chained them so that they gave birth in chains the children were allowed to die without baptism, and the mother and child were thrown into the river. They took priests and monks, chained them up in various ways, and beat them so that they were maimed for life and driven out of their minds. It's the drop. You do the drop. Some were roasted alive. Others had their teeth ripped out. Others were beaten with huge sticks, and none were freed until they have given far more money than they could afford. Now, that doesn't sound... Like a very good time now, does it? That's great! Wow, no, it doesn't, Dan. (laughs) That is is the most obscure, on the money, (laughs) deep cut podcast (laughs) reference. Really, really (laughs) well done. Thank you very much. He's he's my hero. What can I say? Yeah, you know. This is my impression of Dan Carlin doing an impression of Marcus Parks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. He's at home right now going, like, no. I don't think I sound like that. I don't think. I sound like that. Dan, the lasagna <laughs> is ready. And I told you, if you talk in your radio voice at dinner one more time, we're getting a divorce. Honey, I told you, I wish it was different. <laughs> <laughs> but when it came to contemporary medieval accounts of what was actually happening in France, let's hear a section from a medieval text read by Henry Zabrowski. The countryside is desecrated and shepherds are slaughtered. There in the dung, without a bed, with a dead sleeping one on top of the other, in piles. Many noble shepherdesses were left alone without their lovers. So many heads cut off, so many feet, fists, so many arms without hands. It's wow. kind of a lot. It's a lot. It sounds like a lot. I think there was never so much as a shedding of human blood nor a slaughter more cruel. Not since Tuesday. Not since Tuesday. So the is there... Did you feminize the word shepherd to shepherdess? They say shepherdesses. shepherdesses yeah. Is yeah. that right? I, I think, no, it's a direct before. translation from the French, which is probably something more what? like that. Interesting. <laughs> no, it's shepherds and shepherdesses. I didn't know there was a female version of the shepherd. I thought they were all shepherds. Back in the day, gender wasn't as complex as it is now. Oh, is that right? And so, yeah, back in the day, some shepherds, they had ding-dongs. <laughs> but other shepherdesses, yeah. they had woo-hoos. Little red riding hoods. <laughs> Now, this savagery was of no concern to the nobility of France. During the 15th century, every castle, as Henry said, was its own little kingdom. Every castle had its own little private army. It's cool. And there in the castle, the nobility ate lavishly while the peasants starved. It's got to be on the right side of that lance. What, mm-hmm. kind, of, what kind of animals would you put in your moat? Uh, I, I want alligators, definitely. I mean, alligators. Yeah, that's, that'd be good. Hippos, if I could get them. Hippos yeah. would be great. Beavers, they build their own walls. They're working for you. Yeah, no. but now I'm the one. I need control of the walls. No, no, no. The beavers, they don't build. They build the walls across the river. They wouldn't. Be, they would actually not ruin be the a, moat. Yeah, they would ruin the moat. They'd fuck up the moat. Yeah, yeah. they just treat a ditch, which I'll is still cat, useful. I'll but train not cats to swim. I actually kind of just want to put dudes in the moat. That would be great. Do you remember the lady I showed? On the yeah. stream, yeah. who the lived in the lake? The water, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that lady. What if it's those guys, but it's dudes, but they got guns? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Perfect. Dudes <laughs> yeah. with guns. And if you want to see that, of course, patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. We do the stream every Tuesday live That's at 8 p.m. PST. Integrated marketing. Integrated marketing. <laughs> nice. Well, the measure of a successful noble was not in the morale of his people or even necessarily in how adept he was in battle. 
Rather, when it came to the respect of his fellow nobles, it was all in how decadent and luxurious the life of that noble could appear to be. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like Instagram. <laughs> it's just kind of, Why? It's like Instagram. Why is it like Instagram? Because you're seeing everybody else's highlight reel. We're not really seeing who they are as a person. That is true. Good but, point. But the nobles, I mean, like, it's, it is, I feel like it's the concept of constantly trying to separate themselves from the hoi polloi. And like we're chosen yeah. to be this role. So we kind of live this extravagant mm -hmm. life because it's what, it's what we were chosen to do for you to look up to us aspirational. Yeah. And it's also about competing with the other nobles. Like, again, if you want to compare it to today, it's like you got a big boat. Fuck you. I got a big boat inside my big boat. Wow. And my big boat inside my big boat also has caviar. The turducken of boats. Also, hoi polloi, a fantastic strip club where all the girls look like bobbers. <laughs> What's bobbers? What's a bobber? Fishing bobbers. Uh -huh. Wow, weird. weird. That's surreal. <laughs> that round. is like that is literally like they're us. toy polloi. Yeah. They're gonna I, be round. Yeah. I just don't toy understand. with the girls that look like they're oh, round. So, oh, so you're saying that it's a round? That doesn't even make sense it's because lures are like skinny. <laughs> no, they no, look like bobbers. no bobbers. I mean, he could have just as easily on. said beach balls. He could have said basketballs. He could have said any other kind of ball. That was interesting. That was like <laughs> because that they're was also a, wet. I wanted to bring you to my Jungian therapist and have you say the same sentence. It's just they're wet. That's why I said bobbers. <laughs> well, as author Jean Benedetti put it so succinctly, French society was like a man who, finding the world hostile, retired to his gilded chamber to masturbate. Oh, you're oh. talking about me in 2020? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, of course, some nobles took this decadence to violent extremes that none of the others dared dream of. And that brings us to Gilles de Ray. Ooh, setting the tone, setting the scene. Now we're meeting the man. And I don't know what he sounds like yet. <laughs> Gilles de Ray was born in the year 1404, appropriately in the black tower of his family castle at Champolce. Nice. Wow, cool. Very good. Yeah, thank you. De Ray was born to two nobles named Gilles Levor and Marie de Crayon as a result of a complicated legal dispute over property between noble families that is far too complicated to go into here. Okay. Some would say boring. Yeah, <laughs> all right. All you need to know is that by the end of it, Gilles de Ray was the sole heir to his first of three massive fortunes. Dang. And he's exactly as you imagined the sole heir of many medieval fortunes mm -hmm. would be as. Yeah. Gilles was therefore raised by servants in what was referred to as, quote, the cocoon of luxury, a little prince who had little to no experience with what the world was like outside of his pampered existence. Hmm. I don't understand. Why is my milk warm? It's more Melania Trump. <laughs> I don't understand. Why is no one praising me yet today? I think it's good. I mean, we'll work on it. This is a four-part series. <laughs> I'm bouncing. No, I know. I know. You're working. This is Baby Gilles. I baby Gilles, of course. Okay. Baby Gilles. That's good. Okay, we're getting there. I'm just a little baby. Now we're talking. Yeah, now we're getting just a little. Give me the teeth. Yeah, you want my teeth? Yeah, you want my teeth? I've been a man this whole time, buddy. I know. Well, it was said that Gilles was to sleep in an airy but not windy room looking out to the east so that he might be gently awoken by the sun. Hey, let me start, son. 
Are you the one with the titty? No, that is Spanish. I love Mr. Steel. That's not. That's closer. Is it? I love Mr. Son. As long as it's not Jamaican, I'm happy. Hey. Oh, God. Now you should wait. <laughs> well, it was ordered that he be bathed often, but not too often, lest his skin be softened. Hey, man, you need oh, skin. My. You need the skin just leathery enough to be a man about a horse, but you <laughs> also need to be soft enough to be touched by a fine maiden, which is the line I write. Absolutely. Feel these hands. We all have very sweaty. soft hands. They're very sweaty. It's I can't, hot near. Actually, my hands are quite rough. Well, they've, uh, they've softened. Ah. Since you've been off the field. <laughs> well, he ate consommes of veal, beef, and partridge, but did not eat fish because it was said to make children too calm. Mm, too calm? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So they wanted them all wild? Yeah, well, I oh. mean, listen to the drinks they gave him. He consumed the standard noble child's beverage, which was five parts boiled sugar water and one part French wine. Man, that's cool. Whoa, so they were getting hammered. Yeah. And well, then the wine that... didn't get you drunk like it used to, I don't think. I think no. it must have. Well, I think back in the day, I don't think wine and beer and all that was quite as strong as it is. It's not like an you don't IPA think so? or anything. No. No, he's not a total douchebag. He's not drinking IPAs. But <laughs> that's save, it, save it for Old and McNeely. But uh, why wouldn't the wine be any... I feel like I'm it's still I'm the just, same thing. I might no. be talking on my ass. I think it's because they just drank it more regularly. That's what I would say, because they drank it because it was better than a lot of the water the most of the time. Yeah, they didn't. They drank beer more than they drank water. Or at least that's what the commercials told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Wala>. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, that was nice when friends used to call friends on rotary phones. No, I remember. Well, concerning Gilles' behavior, he was also unpredictable, physically aggressive, and destructive. Yeah, because he's fucking sugar high and drunk on wine. He mm-hmm. is, what's his name, Lord Farquaad from yeah. Trek. It soon became apparent to everyone that they were raising a psychopathic monster with no boundaries. And if anyone tried punishing him, they themselves would be punished even more harshly. Are we That's back on our, are we on our David Miscavige series still? <laughs> no. Okay. no, no, no. We're setting up for our future Baron Trump series. <laughs> <laughs> However, it was also clear that Gilles de Ray was brilliant. And by the time he was an adult, he was considered one of the most well-educated men of his era. He was tutored in sciences, art, music, literature, and theater, of course, which oh, we'll yeah. get to later. Okay. When Gilles was still a child, though, both of his parents died within the same year. His father, in a very Robert Baratheon-esque death, was gored by a wild boar while hunting. Died slowly in bed. I'm pretty certain he must have just taken that. Because there are certain things. He he said characters were inspired by history, like as he researched. George R.R. Martin, you mean? Yes. And that sounds like that is his death. Yeah, that's absolutely Robert Baratheon's death. Yeah. Yeah, gored by a boar. That's kind of a fun way to go. Ugh. I mean, that's the thing is that you eventually just have to sit in bed and then you shit yourself to death. Mm. Yeah, you just yeah. shake until you die. It doesn't yeah. eat you, huh? No. no, no, no. It just gores you and then it runs away. Yeah, it goes like, oh, yeah. and then it leaves you just sit there and then you are literally bored to death. Wow. <laughs> then you just bleed out and shit, huh? And his mother's cause of death, unknown. Yeah, because it's not important. Yeah, well, Women die so often then. <laughs> cold. Maybe she just had the flu. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it said that she left after uh, the father died and remarried. One of, There's one record that says that she remarried, but then she died very soon after. It's her, his mother is very mysterious. Can't you just die way. back in the day from a paper cut? It gets infected. You're screwed. They don't sure. have penicillin or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Could you get hit lot. by a cart. You can get oh, fucking yeah. chomped on by a horse. Mm-hmm. You can fucking get one of five different diseases we know to be the plague. You mm-hmm. can die like that. You can mm-hmm. die of just a bad milk. Yeah, a horse could kill you like seven different ways. Awesome. Options are limitless. <laughs> 
What we do know is that after both parents were in the ground, Gilles had only one living relative besides his insignificant younger brother, who really only interacted with Gilles when Gilles became a theatrical producer in his 30s, and his brother wanted to direct. That is a story <laughs> as old as time. <laughs> I mean, wow. really, I mean, this story, as you'll come to see, it's like, you'll see, like, Gilles DeRay is like a combination of, like, Harvey Weinstein, Ted Bundy, and Jared from Subway. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Top three. My top three. Wow. My dr- that's my, my dream blunt rotation. So I've got a date with this guy, Gilles. He says he's Weinstein, Fogel, and Bundy all in one. Does he have a brother? Yeah, but he's insignificant. (laughs) He just wanted to play songs. He's Roger Clinton. Oh, Roger Clinton. (laughs) Or Billy Carter. I know Billy Beer. Yeah. But when it came to possible legal guardians after the death of Gilles' parents, the most obvious yet worse choice was his mother's father, Jean de Crayon. Everyone knew this was a bad idea because De Crayon was described as little better than a bandit who had no regard for anyone but himself, nor did he follow the laws of God or man. Not My favorite how, crayon not, was the was Silmarillion. Yes. <laughs> I was going to do my crayon joke, which was not to mention how much he, he scuffed up the floor. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah so we are good. really, yeah. really good. Wow. Today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you ate him, your, your poop would be alarming. It's a one, two, three, four. <laughs> boom, boom. Wow. Content. Triple-headed tornado! Comedy podcast. Well, when Gilles DeRay's father was on his deathbed, he said, whatever you do, do not let Jean de Crayon raise my son. These wishes were, of course, not met. And it's likely that de Crayon's influence led to Gilles DeRay's unfettered brutality. You never want your last words to be like, no, why are you laughing? I was serious. Why are you laughing? Uh, he was a bad guy. Yeah, he and, was. And then he mm. learned, he trained Shield from a very young age. He was the kind of the first example of like, he was the ultimate corrupt motherfucker to use the most dirty handed tricks that were technically still like of like common use. Like people would use what he used, yeah. but mostly it was in bad taste. Well, they would use them sparingly and De Crayon used them all the time. That was his only tool in his toolkit. What's that one guy that trained Batman? Played um, by Liam Neeson. Uh, uh, that would be... Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Ra- 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 <laughs> yeah, Qui-Gon Jinn. Rajal Ghoul. Yes, yeah. kind of like that guy. Uh, kind of like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> kind of like Jar Jar like Binks. Just keep saying, just remember, <laughs> Italy is like a boot. Just, just keep that on a rotation. Uh, this uh, is good. Uh, well, Jean de Crayon <laughs> raised Gilles to believe that their family was above morality, just so long as it was to their benefit. The closest analog in Game of Thrones would be the Boltons, a moral, calmly savage, and ruthlessly ambitious. This would, of course, make Gilles Ramsay Bolton, cruel, oddly charming in a serial killer sort of way, and reckless, but no less skilled in warfare. Okay. To that point, just as Jean de Crayon was giving his grandson the worst possible moral compass one can give to a wealthy brat, Gilles de Ray was being trained for not just command, but battle. Oh, yeah. Jean, Jean de Crayon must have really scuffed up the floors when he was walking around. <laughs> just got, man. <laughs> Crayon. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Crayon comes to say from your grave. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Since we're here, what would you do of another extra hour of your day? I mean, well, obviously, I'd get some nunchuck training in. Oh, I'd make love to my wife. That takes about nine. That's a full nine minutes of that hour. And then I would probably uh, go to get a donut. And then I'd probably yell at my parents. But a lot of us wish we had more time. The question is time for what? I don't know. 
what works for you. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it. You know that question? They're like, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do? You know, and like, you know, when I answer, it's of course, I would grind the government to a standstill with my giant machine of my making in secret for many years. But a lot of people get mad at that. And it's really hard to do that in a job interview or like when you're meeting somebody's like your significant other's parents for the first time. So, and you might actually want to think of starting therapy. So give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-A-S-T-P-O-D. It's sports. Prize picks. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor, oh, it's eaten up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Yeah! Toss that rock! Come on, guys! Yeah, pass it around. Get on the excitement with Price Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious caps. Whether it's hula hoops or earring hoops, you're going to know everything you need to know about sports. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Price Picks with little as four correct picks. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Basket. Price Picks even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. I sure wish that Bobby Bonilla was still in the game because I would pick him to go all the way. Can you imagine Bobby Bonilla played basketball? Woo-wee, dog! Then it would be more like baseball, but Bobby Bonilla would still be crushing it in the contract game. Woo! The deadliest game of all. Download the app today. And use code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. See, for all their pampering, some nobles did participate in on-the-ground warfare, and Gilles was a prime example. Starting at the age of 11, Gilles began training in 33 pounds of chainmail and a full wow. set of plate armor. It's the sort of stuff that we think of when we think of a medieval knight today. Yeah. You know that they are really not as, they are more mobile in that armor than you'd think they would be. Yeah. Have you, you've watched modern, like, armored fighting, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really fun. It's my favorite, because yeah. like, that's how I want to work out. Yeah. What they... Like I said, I got too many hairs. Yeah. What, oh, my God, yeah. With the pull. chains. Yeah, with oh, pull. yeah, the chainmail. I you're ripping up my fucking chest, because you know how thick my oh, shit yeah, is. Oh, yeah, but I don't yeah. Even think you can wear a watch. No, yeah. I can't. It hurts. See, see I use chainmail to uh, clean my uh, cast iron skillet. It's actually very good for it. It brings what? up all that. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually send it to you. You're going to love it. You clean with the fucking most heavy metal sponge? <laughs> yeah, possible? It's a heavy metal chainmail sponge. It's Whoa. fucking good. It works wonderfully. It's just like you and Rob Halford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have the sponge mommy and the sponge daddy going to make them kiss. <laughs> yeah, make them fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I got sponge, sponge baby. Sponge baby. But that's the thing is that I really love the feel of chainmail. And I know I want to buy some chainmail, but I know if I bought it, I just wear it around the house all the time. You're allowed to. Yeah, you can do that. It's your house. Yeah, you're married. Yeah, I guess. Actually, I'm- it might be good. Good exercise. 
Actually, it would be. Just to have the general weight on your shoulders might be you nice. Because so you're not carrying Carolina at the at yeah. no. concerts anymore. And honestly, getting, like, when Carolina, obviously, she'll want to divorce you when she when you do that, but it's hard <laughs> as shit, dude. Yeah, whatever, yeah, exactly. Being like, you will never get through these emotional armor that I'm wearing, yes. and then she can't, she can try to serve your divorce papers while I have this metallic visor on. Can't yes. do it. And then she can serve divorce papers when we're doing our panel at WonderCon. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, you mentioned shitting and yes. how difficult shitting would be. <laughs> I did. There was a whole protocol to that. Whoa. Well, I mean, for peeing, most of the time they just piss themselves. Sure. Because it wasn't really worth it and things are kind of dirty anyway. Yeah, so you already cares? reek. Yeah, you already reek. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're going to be fine. Shitting, though, you can't have a big deuce back there. You're going to fuck with your mobility. You can't fight oh, yeah, with, alongside the holy matron of France while you're sitting in a fucking puddle of diarrhea. Yes. No, so you, no. When they did need to take a dump, their squires would actually reach down and lift up their chainmail and would have to sit there as they squatted and let one drop. It's like a lady on her wedding day. Uh, just so you know, and that actually brings that, that reminds me, we're starting an intern program here at LPN, and it's really going to help. Mostly it's about spotting dookie pants. Yes, indeed. You know? Whenever one of us has to go, because you can see when we scrunch up her face, the guitar, yeah. that's how you know they run, they pull down our pants so we can free shit. That's it's it's going to be nice. College credits. Call like some would actually <laughs> still drop into the chain mail, but yeah. Yeah, maybe you have to horse it out. You know, really push it out. Yeah, horse it out. Yeah, yeah really get a splash yeah. out there. <laughs> in good distance from your body. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Well, when it came, I'm happy to be alive now. I Me hate too. Twitter and stuff, but like, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. Twitter. I'll I just, just don't not look at, at the phone. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. But when it came to weaponry, Gilles was trained with ten foot lances ending in metal spearheads. He knew how to use swords, daggers, truncheons, cool. axes. Cool. By the time he made his debut in public life in 1420, i.e., his first battle, Gilles was ready. Man, Nepple babies suck now, dude. They don't have any skills. <laughs> like, no, that's they fucking don't. cool. I would respect a lot more like kids, like trust fund kids, mm -hmm. if they came out of it with full warfare, like medieval level I mean, training. Nep Nepple babies have the ability to make us think that they are victims of being rich. Yeah, I know, and that's which the, is my favorite twist that I've seen all, so far. Yeah. yeah, that's a good twist. But I would also like them to use axes. But not on me no. or on anybody innocent. I know. Well, at the same time, I like the news story. Whatever they do, I will read it and go, whoa. Like, I'll be yeah. interested. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, but no, it'd be that. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's 14 years old at this time. He's in his early teens. Yeah, early to mid-teens, somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, he's about 13, 14, actually. Show me the titty. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking Heath Ledger, A Knight's Tale. Yeah. Wow. Right. Oh, oh, I'm a knight. Everybody thinks I'm handsome. Right? Is that was he British in that? I actually, actually, I we think just got he... written up in Men's Health, <laughs> and they said that you were a comedian. What did, if you, if a comedy podcaster was made in the lab? They said that was you, and I yeah, agree wow. with them one hundred percent. I'm pretty uh, certain the article was written by a bot. No, yeah, I, I, I think, think it was written so, by. Robots, I think so yeah. because it seems like it was like a list of podcasts that were popular like five years ago. I, that's still <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> but I agree with that, and you're you're coming in today. Show me they did that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I just keep saying up. AI has not hey, been man. wrong yet. It's not, not wrong now. Not uh, not hey, not it worked for Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gilles participated in a successful campaign to resolve an unknown yet probably meaningless dispute between two noble families that resulted in the deaths of dozens, if not hundreds of people. Ugh. Gilles then, of course, returned to his castle to revel in decadence. Cool. This is actually somewhat of a normal pattern for French nobles. You'd go out, You'd kill a bunch of people. You'd probably fuck up your own peasants for a little bit. 
You'd let the other army fuck up your peasants a little bit. You'd kill dozens upon Ugh. dozens upon dozens of people. Then you'd go back to your castle and eat goose neck for the next six days. Ooh. I feel like all of it feels like stressful. It's it very stressful. Even the big meals seem kind of stressful. And I like a big meal, but it's like, partially it's like everybody's there. Yeah, it's because like, here's like, a, a bowl of sparrow's feet. But I would eat that, but well, I kind of want to be alone. Mm. And then, like at that point, I'm tired. I'm yeah. burnt out. Yeah. Like, cause that's but what no. I do at the end of touring and stuff. I'll just like a night horse comes out. I'll order like ninety dollars worth oh. of Chinese food for myself. Did you say a night horse? Yeah, night horse is when the food comes at night. When I change to a man that needs <laughs> that needs different than the healthy man that was during the day. I you self describe as night horse when you're hungry <laughs> after ten p.m. Well, this has already come up. We've talked about this. <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember night horse at all. I don't remember night horse. <laughs> it comes. <laughs> upon me and uh but i want to be alone because it's still with these meals you still got to entertain yeah i just got done killing everybody i just like i'm out of juice because we did a whole like group thump mm. on a bunch of pilgrims mm. and now what am i supposed to do now i gotta eat in front of all y'all while the jester i gotta maintain the jester because mm -hmm. he, he's not funny i gotta kill him yeah. you know how difficult it is then to find another one yeah but you know when you go home and you eat and yes i because i completely understand but you want the tv on you want guys grocery games you mm -hmm. want triple d but i don't want so to entertain the joke, yeah but there was no netflix there was no tv yeah. you have to do it live theater and chill i know mm -hmm. so you tapestries eat, you eat um you can watch food shows while you eat yeah, yeah of course it's like watching porn while you fuck. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it really does. It helps you get re-hungry for the food that you're eating. Yeah, sometimes you don't do I'll that? eat. No, well, I'll I, don't, watch I don't watch cooking shows. They're boring as fuck. You got to watch a cooking show. And then what <sighs> I do is sadly is that this is really true. It's like I'll get a food that obviously resembles nothing of like the fancy cool food that they're eating. Yeah. I'll eat like a bowl of cereal. But in my mind, I kind of pretend that it's the food that they're eating. You That's don't watch Triple D? No. We're all Just, different. We are all, a, different. We're all different in our own <laughs> way. We are all different. You know Italy's a boot. <laughs> I'm a comedy podcaster made in a lab. I know, mm -hmm. I know. And he doesn't watch and fucking I've Triple D. Got a, a brain full of craggy rocks. How yep. much Guy Fieri have you watched in your life, do you think? Hours. Maybe wise. 10 minutes. Interesting. Oh, wow. wow. And he can still consort with you. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know him as a character, but that's it. Oh, he's a little bit more than that. He is. He's a man. He's a man. He's, he's a, a father. No, that's what I mean. He's I mean, a volunteer. He's a chef. He's a restaurant tour. He's a business owner. Uh -huh. Thank you, Henry. Absolutely <laughs> correct. Soon to be president. I have nothing. I'll take him. I have nothing against him at all. I appreciated when he followed Rage Against the Machine on tour for like six weeks. I appreciated that. that He's anti-establishment. He is until he becomes the establishment, and then we'll see what happens when Guy, the long arm of Guy Fieri, comes for us all. He would have to do something real bad for me not to defend him. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> what's real bad? Catering Epstein Island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Guy Fieri, and I'm rolling out to America's. Uh, Places where people have sex with young people. I'm, on it. I'm glad that I'm we glad. let it roll out. I'm glad, too. Yeah. Well, pretty soon after Gilles' first battle, his grandfather, Jean de Crayon, decided it was time for Gilles to get married. Oh, yay! Yeah. Good for him! Now, the question of Gilles de Ray's sexuality has been the subject of much controversy throughout the years. We definitely know that Gilles was not heterosexual because it was said multiple times that Gilles had no interest in women whatsoever. In fact, some of the conspiracies that have sprung up around his conviction for hundreds of child murders and his subsequent death, they assert that he was framed and killed because he was gay. Well, one of the reasons why he was framed. And one of the reasons. I personally do not believe this to be true, nor do I believe that Gilles de Ray was gay. Gilles de Ray was a pedophile, full stop, yeah. and was only sexually attracted to children. 
Didn't matter. Both sexes. To go from one to a hundred here, his servant said that the main difference in how he treated boys and girls was that he took more pleasure in having sex with the next stump of girls he decapitated than he did in, quote, using their natural orifice in the normal manner. While boys, he just did whatever. Yeah. So... He was a man of different tastes and different flavors. Mm -hmm. We're all made of multitudes. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like, a spectrum. Loves a spectrum. Loves a spectrum. This house chooses love. This house chooses love, indeed. He's kind of got uh, Gary glitter tendencies. <gasps> far yeah, worse. But far he's worse. worse. So Gary yeah, can feel good about that. He really can. <laughs> I'll, I'll be, let me call him. Yeah. yeah. So suffice to say, Gilles de Ray's marriage was not what you'd call successful. Mm. See, if a woman marrying in medieval times had the best of luck, she'd have a husband who was at the very least kind, and they might have something that resembled love eventually, like the Starks. Security grows into love. <laughs> yes. Doesn't it? Does that it is not? why I keep it. I keep you safe from the pillaging hordes, Carmelita. <laughs> Ooh, ah, Carmelita. sweet Carmelita. <laughs> now, yo, you haven't bored me a son? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to cut your tits off. Oh, no. Yes, but I'm one of the nice ones. <laughs> yeah, so nice is probably just they don't get killed. Yeah, they okay. don't get, yeah. Nice is like they are There's cordial. some love back cordial. in the day. I feel Sometimes. like there was some, who knows? Every mm. once in a while. I would hope so. Yeah, Ned and Caitlin Stark, they had, they were fond of each other. So they were fake, but yeah. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> they must have had love back then, too. Yeah, of course. They were, I would say, a fondness. Okay. But for others, they were matched with men like Gilles de Ray. In this case... We have Catherine de Thuers. And even though she was a distant cousin of Gilles, which violated the church's laws on consanguinity, her family estates bordered the lands owned by Jean de Crayon. Wait, they used to call brosis love consanguinity? Yeah, they made it sound fancy, <laughs> no. but yeah, that's just, no, that's them cousins, that's them kissing cousins. Yeah, that's okay. co cousins marrying each other is consanguinity. Yeah, but it was yeah. against the, it was against all the rules why she's why for a long time their marriage was shunned because it, it, it shows more. That's why, like, as we keep building the case for whether or not the crimes of Gilles de Ray were real, it's more about, like, where does the man come from? What are other signs to show the depravity of the dude? Yeah. Everybody said, we are, our crew is against cousins fucking. Like, yeah. we don't like it. Other royal families do it. Whatever with them, again, good for them, whatever they like. But we don't do it. And they specifically, they had many options. He mm -hmm. was an extremely, like, the, the potentiality of his kingdom was massive. He could have gotten anybody. And the fact that he wanted to keep it in the family mm. was an immediate showing of, like, Oh, this is like a deviancy that's starting to grow from early on. Yeah. Well, there's also a practical side to it as well, because sure. Jean de Crayon's lands bordered the lands of Catherine de Thuers. So a match with his grandson, it was too good to pass up. Yeah, I did cousin marriage in, in Crusader Kings. You of have course. to. You have to. And so in November of 1420, when Gilles was in his early teens, he rode to the castle Thuers and kidnapped Catherine de Thuers. He <laughs> then terrorized him. I'm doing the best I fucking can. No, man. you're doing great. I'm doing you're the best really I good. can. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I heard that, I just thought of, I just wish men were more romantic like they used to be. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're mine now. Go here, woman. Yep. He then terrorized a monk into performing the ceremony because of the consanguineous nature of the marriage. <laughs> but in her marriage, Catherine was vaguely lucky because the marriage was one of the few times that she had to actually be in the presence of Gilles de Ray. Now, that's not to say that he wasn't physically and mentally abusive to her when they appeared at the standard festivals, baptisms, and weddings. But most of the time, he left her to live at the castle Puzoge, where Gilles never went. 
Now, they did have a child 10 years after they were married. Which speaks to a lot because that's a very, that's like a lifetime yeah. in medieval time to wait to have kids. But that conception was certainly not a romantic endeavor and had more to do with securing Katrine's lands and producing the obligatory heir uh, more than anything. Yeah, gotcha. I don't think he ever saw his child. No. Yeah. No, he didn't. He, he had no interest. You think they did it with the sheet? Little hole in a sheet? I think that when they did it, it was either perfunctory or it was extremely brutal. Yeah. I would imagine extremely brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, the marriage between Gilles and Catherine wasn't the only land deal being made through a marriage, and it certainly wasn't the only one that involved violence on the part of the de Ray family. In the early 1420s, Jean de Crayon's wife died, so he decided to remarry. And in order to consolidate land and power even more, Jean de Crayon married Catherine de Thuer's grandmother, Anne de Sayé. Anne de Sayé. What? Who? He's a crayon. She's a marker. Opposite <laughs> oh, wow. right I mean, that, that is, I'm now oh, yeah. seeing in yeah. your mind. I yeah. saw like a collection. I saw the him as your giant crayon uh -huh. with the crown on uh -huh. it. And I saw lady with boo. I saw boobies on a marker, obviously. I obviously. saw long hair on the marker. Yep. But you get wow, wow. When you smell my wife, you get high. <laughs> <laughs> remember that when markers used to make you high? I oh, yeah. Remember. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. And then they ended up making the markers that smell good. Yeah, I like the yeah the Which good smell marker, yeah. the scratches the the great marker was the best marker. They don't do it anymore though. No. No. It's because the chemicals probably caused us oh, all to be sick. Look at us. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, when Jean de Crayon married Anne de Sier, that granted him the castles Tifoge and Puzoge. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> However, these castles would not be passed to Gilles upon Jean de Crayon's death, so Jean had to brute force his way around the law, and Gilles de Ray was about to learn an important lesson. Jean kidnapped the wife of the man whom those castles were supposed to pass to after his death and told her that if her husband didn't give up the castles Tifoge and Puzoge, he would sew her up in a sack and throw her in the river. That's called negotiating. Mm -hmm. Do we know if, if the husband likes her? Uh, I mean, it's a matter of honor more than anything. Oh, get the castles. Castles. It's her. more just like, that's my wife. You don't do that to my wife. I'm the only one that can hate her. No, he just she just died. He, the, the dude was going to get these other castles, and mm. then he took the woman that had the castles attached to her, and she'd be like, well, you're my wife now. No, it wasn't so you're my wife now. It's like, sign over these castles to me, or else I'm going to sew you up in a sack and throw you in the river. Uh, <laughs> Again, <laughs> negotiations have to start somewhere. But she called his bluff. Whoa. She refused. He did not sew her up in a sack and throw her in the river. What? So to try and negotiate a peaceful end, the captive's husband sent three emissaries, including his own brother, to rescue her. But they were thrown in the dungeon to, quote, rot without food or drink. Now we're just collecting family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, did they also use that dungeon as a bathroom? Have you seen that? Like the toilet dungeons that existed back in the day? Oh, I was yeah, where one. people oh, wow. would shit above Literally. the toilet. Yeah, and they wow. would, it was yeah. nasty, dude. Ugh. You don't want to be down there. No. Well, finally, though, with both his brother and his wife in captivity, the rightful heir to the castles Tifoge and Buzoge gave up and handed over the rights to the castles in addition to a ransom. Oh. He then reported the behavior to the crown in hopes of some sort of punishment for Jean de Crayon's behavior. Yeah, he went tattled. Mm -hmm. huh. But to the point of the king having little real power at this time in France to police the nobles, when the court sent a royal messenger to de Crayon's castle, de Crayon had the messenger brutally beaten and just sent him back to the king and said, that's what I think about that. Like Jamal Goshogi. Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I don't know. I Jamal Goshogi. You don't know that story? The Saudi? Oh, the Saudi prince who killed the journalist. Who killed the oh, journalist. I didn't this know. Is, 
Yeah, yeah. this would be different than that. But I mean, he did still similar. He just killed a- <laughs> yes, it's similar. <laughs> he yeah, killed the messenger. messenger. Yeah, but yes, he killed the messenger. But this guy wasn't killed. He was sent back to the king. He was sent uh, back. Sent back to the king. Brutally okay. beaten. And when the court issued a fine for the whole incident, the crayon simply didn't pay. And there was no consequence whatsoever. And that's a lesson that a lot of men have learned over time for a long time. That if you just don't pay your bills, actually sometimes it's very difficult for them to come get that money. Mm-hmm. It's true. Not for us. Actual rich people. Yeah. Oh, yes. Actual rich people. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're smart. Now, Gilles de Ray learned an incredibly important lesson from his grandfather during this entire escapade. See, most noblemen didn't conduct business through kidnappings, ransoms, and savage beatings. Hmm. They only did it sometimes. Yeah, he was doing. He was acting like a mob boss. Yeah, like he was doing the thing where, like, we're gonna, this is how I do stuff, and most of the time, people just like don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But Jean de Crayon was teaching his grandson that a nobleman could conduct himself in such a way if he was so inclined, and Gilles de Ray was very much inclined towards activities far beyond kidnapping and simple beatings. It titillated him. Mm-hmm. Immediately understood. Like, because he jumped right in. Like, that's why Jean de Crayon was, like, super into Gilles. Like, he loved They actually were, whatever their version, I don't even know if it was love, but he saw a kindred spirit and took extra attention to make sure that Gilles was, like, gonna be just like him. Mm-hmm. So, because his grandfather had ignored the laws of God and man, Gilles de Ray was now heir to three Fast fortunes. And if Gilles believed that he could treat noblemen in this matter, just imagine what he could then allow himself to do to the peasants. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. And if that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel. The science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Now, I love Babbel, and I love what they're doing for the people of America. But I went on there to find out if I could learn Fremen in order for me to go and harness the desert power that it would take to finally Get the raids of the sand planet Arrakis. Uh, but they said they only offer real languages and uh, stuff that can really help people travel. I think that's mostly what Babbel's looking to do. They didn't really, like, I called customer service and I asked me, like, well, how can I possibly harness the power of a million Fremen? And they said, please, sir, stop calling. And I said, but I, I'm doing an ad for you currently while we're on the phone. And Babel, you know what? God love them. They helped me learn German. And in the end, they, they were right. Because German's a lot more useful. Here's a special limited time deal for listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash left. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now, once Giel was of legal age and was able to control the fortunes he'd already inherited, he began ignoring his grandfather altogether. And while we don't know exactly when he began murdering children, I think it's fair to say that he probably at least dabbled in heinous activities after he was answerable to no one. I mean, his whole life of never being answerable to nobody. And then all of a sudden you're grazed by a truly corrupt individual. And I'm certain there was plenty of abuse 
being bendied about in his just like as a yeah. his way of doing things. Yeah. But pretty soon after Gilles came into his own, he would be called off to battle where he could spread his misery across France with every other nobleman who was involved in the last phase of the Hundred Years War. 116 Years War. <laughs> Please. Um, was he actually facing battle? Yes. Oh, or, yes. So, oh, yes. This, so that's uh, interesting that they well, actually sent the noblemen out to truly fight. Absolutely. Well, it was their choice. Yeah, they wanted oh, okay. to go. They, yeah. Because it brought great honor. It right. brought bragging rights. And just the, that's what you were trained to do. Yeah. He was trained to kill. And so now they put him out there to go kill. And he really took to it. Yeah. He thought it was very fun. Now, I'm sure most of you know that the Hundred Years' War was not a war that lasted for a hundred years straight. How long did it last for? A hundred sixteen years' war! And that's uh, what we're doing today! And that's what, what we're changing today! Uh, what? <laughs> and it was actually not a hundred years straight. It was three periods of war. And Gilles de Ray fought in part three. Okay. There was a couple of decades in between each phase. The first period, however, had been the most hellish. The Black Death in France began and ended during that phase. Oh and it my. did not slow down the war a bit. What oh, a nightmare, yeah. dude. In fact, the war only exacerbated the plague because of the thousands of corpses that were created by both the battles and the pillaging. In other words, if the plague didn't get you, the soldiers would. Oh, Ooh. yeah. And then at least you're killed. Weirdly, in a way, I bet you, in a really fucked up way, it actually prevented the spread of plague in certain areas because they just came through and killed everybody that would have got the plague. <laughs> and then it just jumps around. Fun times. Fun times. Right. times. Well, as far as how the Hundred Years' War started, though, it basically came about because England in the early 14th century controlled much of France through a series of marriages and other royal fluffer-all that didn't mean jack shit to most people. Then, in 1328, the king of France died. But due to the rules of succession involving matrilineal lines and other sundry horseshit, uh -huh. the king of England was suddenly heir to the French throne. You're hearing this here, right? This Wait. is where it gets complicated. Kissel, just let it through. Just let it roll through. That's yeah. what I do, too. I'm just letting this okay. information yeah, let, just let hit my eyeballs. His words, the sounds of his words, uh, the right. vibrations are hitting my eyeballs. Right. I'm looking at him, seeing him smiling, smiling. getting sort mm -hmm. of that attitude. Yeah. Uh -huh. Understand that what he's saying he's happy about. Yeah. Brain yep. begins to understand all of his information still technically on Wikipedia so, if I need it. <laughs> Henry, we're going to chalk this up to Flufferall. This is all Flufferall. <laughs> yeah, this is Flufferall. Okay. I actually, Ben, I actually said that word for your benefit you in, in particular because I knew you would attach to the word Flufferall. I love I, the word Flufferall. That's all he can think about. Absolutely. <laughs> Italy is a boot. And Italy is a boot. And Flufferall, it's a fantastic program where we send you a fluffer. If you have a porn, their, their hands are always wet. Mom and dad aren't <laughs> kissing anymore? Flufferall. Welcome to Flufferall. Well, a man will get your father hard enough to love your mother. <laughs> well, yes. There was a lot, like, basically a bunch of kings and queens would intermarry between countries uh, for various truces, various, you know, all, all sorts of shit. Great. There would be, there were so many different reasons why they would intermarry. But basically when the king of France died, the king of England was the heir to the throne. And since England already controlled half of Which is of kind France, of a snap, snipperoo, right? It's, it's bad, right? It's it, was a, a, it was yeah. a mistake. It was a mistake because then the king of England had the rights to the rest of France. The French didn't like this. Right. They took umbrage to that. So they attacked England and kicked off 116 years of on and off bloodshed. Can we cut to a medieval flutes version of All Along the Watchtower? <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good idea. I feel like that's, that's a, a good, good idea. Made in a lab. <laughs> <laughs> My mom raised me. I ain't no testy baby. I just oh. couldn't suck. I know. 
Now, by the time of Gilles de Ray, 1425, the great mortality was almost a hundred years in the past, and England was under the rule of King Henry VI, who was at this point not quite five years old. Oh, a five-year-old is in charge of all this shit? He actually came into power when he was nine months old. I, That's oh. a very important baby. Yeah. Wow. France, meanwhile, was being ruled by a 22-year-old named Charles VII, who was at that time not yet named king because his father had technically disinherited him before he died. But they're all fucking children running the show. It happens <laughs> again yeah. when you notice that in a underlying like that's yeah. when to attack in Crusader Kings Three. Mm-hmm. Also happens in Game of Thrones all the time. Yeah, but even so, this guy Charles VII was still in power as the Dauphin which is a French word meaning the guy who's next in line to be the king. Now, the Hundred Years' War... Yeah, but he is a real fan of dough because (laughs) a lot of those guys were pretty big. Absolutely. Dauphin. 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 Absolutely. Well, bread is a sign of wealth. Yeah. Well, bread was all the people's food. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Hundred Years' War had been reignited 10 years earlier after decades of peace when England invaded Normandy. England had since come to occupy most of northern France, including the cities of Paris and Orleans. So to retake their lands, the call to war was sounded, and Gilles de Ray was one of the many who answered. Remember, history makes you hot, guys. Both of our wives are hot women that voluntarily turn themselves into nerds. Absolutely. So now just understand the new cool thing is to be super into the 116 years war. Okay. The last two weeks, the only thing that my wife has been talking about around the house is the Cold War. Think about that. So when you say this is boring, it's not. Become a hot woman in your mind. There you go. It isn't that fun. And she's using it as an analogy for your marriage. It's like a cold war. Marcus, I feel like we're going through a cold war. I call you. So you guys are more, it's more of an organized, what what do they call it? It's a a theater of conflict. Uh, Oh, you mean like a demilitarized zone? (laughs) Yes, it's very much so. Well, here from author Michael Bataille. Or Bataille? Bataille. I don't know. Michael Bataille. Bataille. I I think it might be Bataille. Bataille. Well, here is a description of a soldier's life during the war. There were days of drunkenness after the pillage of an enemy convoy, nights of hunger in which one could not sleep. When one found friends who had been taken prisoner and tortured, in revenge, one tortured enemy prisoners to make an example, without hate, with indifference. One brutalized the peasants one met. To avoid being betrayed by them, one needed to treat them worse than the enemy. One hanged many. The population did not get indignant. On the days of a hanging, the condemned formed a line waiting for their turn without anger, without tears, without cries. They helped to put the cord into place. They cooperated in the abominable rights that belong to war. All right, Dan, let's take that back with a little bit less emotion. (laughs) No, Uh, no, it's it's a little too emotional, Dan. (laughs) Tell me, Sherry, did you not fill out the... Car resignation form. <laughs> Seems that our DMV notice is late. Good, good. A little bit less energy, Dan. <laughs> no, it's good. Did you have coffee today? It's the it's the true unwavering voice of the unbiased historian. Yeah, yeah. That's a I true suppose. radio voice. That is the voice of a true radio professional. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I love Dan Carter. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, as far as what Gilles de Ray did in the war, he was not only permitted, but encouraged to quench his bloodthirst on the battlefield to the point of carnage. That's what it was for. Yeah. So technically, though, this is he's being a hero well, again, by it, their by by ab- their standards. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is them. This is when 
the world, if it's true that he's like, quote unquote, the world's first serial killer, as they talk about, it was perfectly done for him. Mm hmm. Yes, this made him, he was a reckless yet still very successful commander. Part of that was because Gilles was in the early days babysat by a more experienced commander at the insistence of Jean de Crayon, which he wasn't about to lose his hair after all the bullshit he went through to get those castles. But by 1427, Gilles had enough experience to command on his own, and he used his power and money to help raise five companies for military campaigns in which his boldness worked to his advantage. In one assault on the English stronghold of Lude, Gilles and his company attacked a large, solidly built garrison with a sustained cannon bombardment until his army was able to scale the walls for a full-on assault. That's you. I was going to get the siege towers working at a good, like, you have to eventually send in your fast units, right? Because mm-hmm. they got to muck up all their land units, wherever, right. especially if they got any weird sort of, like, individual IUs, right? Mm-hmm. You're fighting those. Then you bring in the siege, siege towers from right. the side, right? Because you have to start the bombing, artillery bombing first, because that's did, how you cover it. And then Gilles, you come in from the... D- did Gilles do all this while sitting on his heated toilet seat also? <laughs> <laughs> because Honestly, yes, but his heated toilet seat was the back of a man. Yeah, it was a person. <laughs> oh, that's sad. When the signal to attack was given, Gilles was the first to the top of the wall, where he was faced with a famed English captain named Blackburn. Whoa. Within minutes, Gilles' sword had, quote, torn away between the plates of mail and buried itself in the flesh. Whoa. And Captain Blackburn lay dead at his feet. And then he went and he looked over the corpse and he said, show me the titty. <laughs> show me the titty. Wow. Made it up. Wow. Wow. With their leader dead, English morale collapsed and the castle was taken. Now the English were actually spared, but the French collaborators were executed. Gilles then moved on with his men. High on victory, they decided, fuck it. Let's try taking another castle. It's always good to do roll with it because you don't get them a chance to set back up. Okay, got you. But when the garrison at Le Mans was too tough to take, Gilles and his company returned to court victorious nonetheless. Yeah, you already got one. You got one W. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's all it needs. Sure. Now, while Gilles was out making a name for himself, his cousin, Georges de la Trumois, had been gaining influence and power at court, having been elevated to a position equivalent to prime minister, that of Chamberlain. See, Georges immediately recognized that Gilles was a good ally because he was not only handsome and witty, but was rich enough to maintain an army. But while Gilles was rubbing elbows with the most powerful people in France and being accepted into their inner circle, those same nobles were fucking up the war because of their own egos. By 1429, the English had taken control of the city of Orleans. Orleans! Orleans. After a battle known as the Day of the Herrings. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the disorganized French had tried to attack the the English supply lines. They broke a bunch of barrels of fish. Yeah. Uh, The fish were all over the place. And the stench of defeat was, of course, accompanied by the stench of herring. Herring! It's supply lines. (laughs) That's what they did. It's supply supply lines. lines. Always. Now, nobody really knew what to do at that point because everyone wanted to be the hero. Therefore, no one was the hero. Nobody was working together. There was no unifying force. I mean, honestly, at this point, you got to freak them out, man. You got to grab one of those fish, dude, eat it raw right in front of him. Let them know you're crazy, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. But then, they, but they're also like, that actually looks good. Yeah. And they just eat the fish, too. That's mm-hmm. what they had the fish. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah, they loved all that. Right. But luckily for the court, the person who arrived to report on the day of the herrings yes. was none other than than Joan of Arc. What? As soon as he saw her, the first thing he said, 
You go on. Show me the titty. <laughs> Show me the titty. I, wait, <laughs> now, so Joan of Arc? This is jo- real. This is Joan of Arc. she showed up here. Comes into play. So, 1,000% real. Wow. When she shows up, Gilles de Ray is there. Wow. Yes. They're, they are in, in, intertwined in history. Huh. Yeah. Joan of Arc, because remember to the... Uh, one thing we didn't, I guess we did explain, but it's one of those things. Our king, the French king, is hiding, right? Like, he's hiding because there's a French king, and then there's also a English king of France. It's a whole thing. But so, but morale is falling apart. Okay. I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. I remember at the time period, I watched a really interesting documentary called The Real Joan of Arc that talks about the concept time. Whoever was winning in a war mm-hmm. was on the right side of God. Sure. And that meant a lot to the people, right? Because the idea was like, so while the French were losing, it was because they lost favor in God's eyes and that that's why they were losing and they they were all falling apart and they had had nobody to look at. Yeah, and and I'm just happy we don't do religious-based warfare anymore. We don't. (laughs) No, No. not not at all. Now, Joan of Arc biographers tend to ignore the fact that she fought alongside Gilles de Ray, quite possibly the most brutal child murderer in known history. But historical records show that Gilles de Ray saved Joan of Arc's life in battle during the few times that she failed. Really? He was, in fact, friends with the woman who is now a saint of the Catholic Church. In fact, Gilles de Ray's connection to Joan of Arc was why he was famous in France before he was famous for being a child killer. Wait, you're oh, telling me that the Catholic Church has direct ties with someone who might do something wrong with a child? I can't <laughs> believe they'd even no try to cover up. Well, that's a part of the... The rebuttal to the rebuttal, yeah, which is they're trying to make it's a long game to try to remake Gilles de Ray innocent because his connections to Joan of Arc sully her name. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So she's giving him the good rub. She's just like, well, he gave well, me that because bad. he hung out with Joan of Arc. She was she became the patron saint of the right. entire country. It's it's that is all real. Many years later, yes, yeah, but yeah. at the time. Hmm. She was immediately this fucking superstar. Yeah. And so since Joan and Gilles were close, it bears getting into the bizarre life of Joan of Arc. Super weird. It's It's very strange. Because you don't really know. Like, I I went through a couple of sources to try to really, because the mystical end is really interesting because we know that we she believed that she had a direct line to a series of angels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Joan of Arc was a peasant who led France's armies into battle on many occasions after being directed to do so by angels representing God. And she did it all starting at the age of about 16. Now, her military prowess is indeed real. There's no myth-busting to be had there. Out of her 13 known military engagements, Joan won nine. Pretty good? Yeah, owes mostly to her incredible understanding of artillery placement. It means she was probably fantastic at math. Yeah, and understood angles. I mean, there's also... like, she just knew every... And she also understood intimidation very well. She did a thing, but this is... It's very, very interesting because there was a prophecy that was, like, put out amongst the hoi polloi kissel of France, right? The bigger strippers, the mm-hmm. bigger rounders. Yeah, the bigger rounders, the, the bobbers. Yeah, the bobbers. Uh-huh. And there was a, there was, I guess the line comes, they believe it might have started with Merlin. That's kind of, they put it to like, we'll get to our was Merlin real series eventually. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to bore you. That's my shit. Yeah. We're going to do a whole King Arthur thing. I'm excited. I'm going to drag all you through that shit with me. Um, but the, I prefer the uh, documented history, but that's just me. Oh my fucking wow! I can't upset. wait for that series. I'm already defi- <laughs> we're gonna gonna be fun. We're gonna come to blows. Yeah, we're gonna have to start that series with ding ding ding. <laughs> but there, are you ready to rumble? The prophecy was that a woman will lose France, but a virgin shall save her. Mm-hmm. And this concept of 
This well, woman, Jaleel wasn't a virgin. Though. No, the no. woman that lost. That's a, there's, a, there's another oh, Joan person was the virgin. Yes, there, there's basically you're talking about the woman who lost France was why it was. That is a a kind of meltdown of the idea of the family lines caused them to lose the throne of France. Matrilineal lines. Yes. Yeah. But they said that there was a prophecy. This this person's going to show up and it's going to take us to the top. And so. At some point, this girl arrived. She arrived and she was a, uh, she fit the bill. She was uh, a full, like, you'd call her sort of vaguely a heretic, but she was a true believer. She was this, she believed that she had direct line to God, which is both challenging to people. Yeah. Because you had to prove it. You had to prove it, which yeah. we'll, we, you have why, how she proves it, right? Somewhat, yeah. Which is like, she proves it by guessing who's the king in a group of people that mm -hmm. are like, the king well, hid the, amongst well, let's them. Not get, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but uh, so they, there's some kind of talk about, well, she trained and not actually some, like, just some peasant girl. Like, mm. was she actually of a rich family that she got military training and then some savvy people behind the curtain understood, like, that's the girl we're looking for. That's our Zendaya. Mm -hmm, we need right. her in front because she fits the this picture that we're going to do. And then decided there's there's that story whether or not she because she showed up. She could jump on a horse. She could use a lance. Yeah. And they're like she shouldn't be able to do it. She definitely could right. read, and then she could she shouldn't have been able to read. Mm -hmm. Well, how they prove she was a uh, virgin? A long we'll process. We'll get into that here in a second. Because you know when you hop on a horse, pop. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you hop on a horse. Also, I feel like oh, yeah, old Doctor Hyman. That's my name. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I feel like if you're a virgin, for some reason, if you kill someone, I don't think you're a virgin anymore. You know, I yeah. Don't know why. If you kill someone before having sex for I, the first I'm just time, like now you've it doesn't. Yeah, you, you jumped it. Yeah, <laughs> I cry for that child. Yeah. Now, it's said that while Joan of Arc, the person, was very simple, they even described her as childlike, personally, uh, she was masterful in battle, but really only when she had cannon to back her up. When she didn't, she lost. But that wasn't really the point of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Joan of Arc was a symbol, someone for the French to rally around and the English to fear. She freaked the English out. Yes. She was also out of her fucking mind. Oh. Someone who truly believed that her frequent auditory and visual hallucinations were heaven sent. She saw full body apparitions. Yeah. She said the people full that she talked vapors. to. I mean, full she didn't vapors. even need meth like the Nazis did. She just fucking had it. She, yeah. They said that she was, she never tired. She said that she was up on, I think because she was like an 18. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and so well, you forget yes, how yeah. young and strong you can be. Yeah. Uh, but she would talk with them. There's some, some words. She also said she saw God in lights and sounds and she would see things and that she was given a set of things that she was supposed to do by the angel Michael. The archangel Michael arrived to her. She said, number one, great hair, smelled great. John Travolta. Mm -hmm. It was. Yes. It was him time it traveling. Was Michael. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, Joel, what you got? <laughs> oh, he's back. Oh, God, come on. I made it a lab. Made it a lab. But it's so, but the, there's some sayings that they think that the angels she spoke to are an allegorical version of actual people she talked to that okay. she would posit as she call her angels. Right. But they were like, guys, it they, seems like in any era, she would have a compelling story and some followers. Yes. Yes. But I mean, it also could have been that it, it's been posited that she had a form of epilepsy. Oh, yeah. Because oh. she also supposedly when she had these visions, she had she saw bright lights. Uh, the visions were apparently triggered by bells, you know, certain sounds. Uh, and it could just be that she was trying to make sense of a very serious medical problem. Oh, yeah. And she just fucking ran with it harder than anyone in history. So all of the uh, opposing armies could have just like 
all rung school bells and killed her. I mean, that would be incredible. Yeah, they would have won. Yeah. She was the Daniel Johnston of <laughs> medieval history. Yeah, the, the, the outsider uh, military commander, yeah. But the problem with symbols like Joan of Arc is that they often outlast their usefulness to the people in charge because symbols are, by their very nature, unpredictable and hard to control. And as we'll see with Joan of Arc, the end of a symbol can be quite messy indeed. Oh, yes. Now, according to Joan, she was only 13 when she heard a voice in her father's garden. She oh, said it was about noon. Hey, Joan, where you going, <laughs> old Mr. Cop? <Yeah. laughs> the voice, she said. I don't care what anyone thinks. I love it. I love it. It's great. It's fine. The voice. It's fine. <laughs> very supportive. Thank you. Of course. The voice, she said, came from the direction of the church and was actually quite disturbing every time it happened. Oh, Joe! Oh, oh he's back, Wow. The voice usually came with a light, she said, and the sound of it was, uh, Henry, ineffably grave and sweet. Uh, that is, I what literally couldn't mean? do ineffably grave and sweet if I wanted to. Because yeah. I think it, that's why I view like, Andrew Dufresne. I feel like it's something like that. It's more because that's my Morgan Freeman. Yes, it's just yes, that word. Yes, it's just, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. That's that's Andrew enough. Dufresne, Joe Nevada. Go through a river of shit. Give a clean on the other side. <laughs> like that's all I know. It's not even good. No, no, it's good. It's it makes but, sense, but, yeah. but it's yeah, that is ineffably grave and sweet. That's that's Morgan Freeman. Uh, like say Morgan Freeman in Seven when he's oh. talking to Gwyneth Paltrow. That's yeah. ineffably grave and sweet. Yes, indeed. You, your husband you, is you spoil that child as much as you possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, and yeah. then her head ends up in a fucking box. Whoa, spoilers! Wow, I never saw that. I didn't see that part. Soon, Joan not only heard the voice... That's the only part I've seen. Yeah. yeah I just yeah. watch it over and over and over and over. It's what's in the yeah. box. What's in the what's box? In the box? In the and then box. he opens it up and it's just one of her... Testicles. Okay. Okay. We're gonna <laughs> let that improv. we're gonna let that be. Twenty twenty three, you never know what's in the box. <laughs> well, soon Joan not only heard the voice, but saw who it belonged to. In her hallucination, Joan was visited by Saint Michael the Archangel, protective warrior saint of France, and the protector of the Valois line of the French royal family. And he okay. looked her up and down. The first thing he said is he said, <laughs> he said show, show uh, look at show me the titty. Show me the titty. Very good. Oh, Very good. Andy, show me the titty. Oh, that's good. Morgan Freeman, are you here with us? <laughs> he did a lap. No I mean, made in a lap. <laughs> no, when St. Michael appeared before Joan, he told her that if she was a good child, God would help her, but only if she sought the help of the king of France first. She ignored this suggestion for years, but eventually St. Michael was joined by visions of two more saints. The first was St. Margaret of Antioch, Margaret the Virgin, while the second was St. Catherine of Alexandria. Now, if Not Mike, a virgin? No, just no, St. Catherine. No, total no. slut. St. Catherine <laughs> big hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Gotcha. Now, if Michael was a saint representing French patriotism, then the two women represented a moral strength. And in the case of Margaret, an almost militant virginity. Yes, because uh, Joan of Arc was, they, it was interesting. She says she was very, very protective of her virginity. Yes. And she was constantly afraid that someone would say something as coarse as, show me the titty. Gotcha. Because they, uh Because she was afraid constantly that she did not like to be in the private, she did not like to be in private with men. But, but she was afraid she, of them. But she was in private with men a number of times, which we'll get to here in a second. Okay. 
Now, Margaret the Virgin, according to legend, it's part of the story. I know, I know. I'm, not being, I'm not being creepy. No, it's I know, I know. of the story. It's fucking 800 years old. Lies from your grave. Do you want to set your child up for success? Yeah. So they can do some work finally for once, right? You're sitting around. They're just playing with their blocks, with their iPads, not bringing any money into the house. What a sham. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework and you find yourself too dumb to help yourself? It's easy with IXL Learning. It's an online learning program. It's for kids. You'll end up learning stuff yourself because adults don't know anything anymore. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Honestly, I feel like a lot of children could benefit from IXL learning. I think a lot of adults could benefit from IXL learning because learning gets pumped right in your home. They don't have to go to an elementary school like Adam Sandler did and Billy Madison because that is not yet accepted by society. All right. So you make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast on the left, listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash L-E-F-T to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Now, Margaret the Virgin, according to legend, had consecrated her virginity to God. That plan was disrupted, however, when a Roman governor proposed marriage and demanded that she renounce Christianity. She declined and was tortured, which is when the miracles that earned Margaret her sainthood occurred. The most impressive miracle by far was when Satan appeared in the shape of a dragon Whoa. and swallowed her up. Whoa, that's big. But, that's she had, big. but she had a cross with her and she started tickling Satan's innards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a Looney Tunes type defense. It works, it works. Yeah, and so Satan got sick and threw her back up. She was alive. That's why she's a fucking saint. That's one of the reasons why. I'm also going to just say straight up. That just means that, like, honestly, Satan wasn't strong enough in that time period because you don't think that's the first time someone's tried to tickle a stomach from the inside because you're (laughs) wriggling around in there. Mm -hmm. No, I think actually still tickling still works. It's a a torture indeed. Yeah, ask my father. Absolutely. Tickling still works. Well, that's just so we can make sure he has feelings still. Yeah, ask your father. You're saying that you tickle your father or that your father tickled you as punishment as a little boy? Ask my father. (laughs) We shall. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that this woman, after she was vomited back up by Satan, the Roman governor decapitated her, oh. thus ensuring her martyr. Honestly, things just used Wait. to be easier. Yeah. A lot that's... of saints got decapitated. Back okay. I know. It just doesn't. Yeah. She did not get decapitated. Decapitated. So uh, Most I don't, of the time I don't know why you she's ha- a saint is all I'm saying. Most yeah, of the a, time to be a saint, it's because you have been, it seems to be a, a, a long running theme is getting tortured to death. Yeah, getting tortured to death, getting fed to lions, getting your head cut off. But she also remembers she consecrated her virginity to God. Yeah. Uh, and so she protected her virginity. She did not renounce Christianity. Miracles occurred, and then she was killed. Boom, that's a saint right there. Oh, that's okay. do. I that's how saints do it. work. I wouldn't do it. No, 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 absolutely not. I fold <laughs> yeah. very, very fast. and Because God was the only person that could say to her, show me the titty. <laughs> wow. Now, these saints supposedly visited Joan of Arc at least once a week for five years, telling her over and over again to seek the king of France, seek the king of France. And she neglected to tell anyone what she was seeing until the taking of Orleans. Now, we also only know this from her trial. We yes. don't know any of this information about her, like because she really did kind of pop out of nowhere, she according did. to a bunch of people. 
she finally gave in to the voice's commands and traveled to court to report on the day of the herrings, where she met with Charles VII's military commander. Acting on the advice of the voices, Joan dressed in men's clothing in order to get her foot in the door, then ingratiated herself with two of the commander's men. And as it just so happened, when Joan of Arc arrived on the court scene in 1429, Gilles de Ray was also there. She ladybugged it. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. Oh, yeah. But opposite. Because Lady well, Bug, yes, that was a boy becoming, be, yes, a, becoming a girl. Yeah. There's another one. It was, it, more, was, it was the one where the girl puts the sock in, and then she rips off her shirt at the end. And no, she I remember she's great. It's called Irish boys. Kiss or something? It's called, yeah, it's called... One of the um, boys? Yeah, it's called... T- Two boys, one cup. <laughs> no, it's, not two boys. Uh, you don't want to see I that. want to say it's girls, the boys in the locker room. It's something girl, about like smoking the in the g- g- yeah. boys' smoking room. Smoking in the girls' room, smoking in the panties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Show me the titty. Show me the titty. Please, yeah. Andy Dupree. It's called smoking in the panties. Please. Do you want to look it up? He's then? looking it up. I'm literally searching the... T- I don't know how to Google. So this <laughs> is girl hear... dresses as the boy to play football. She's the man. She's the man. That's what it was. No, it? But, no I'm talking about an 80s one yeah, where 80s the chick one. was in the cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Come to a grounded halt. <laughs> yeah. I, we you know. just, this is just really, because the audience is screaming. Oh, right yeah. Here. Well, no, they I don't think don't... it's the, remember that she's in the cover the, and she has a football? One of the boys. Uh, we know what, we, we know is what it, it is. One of the it boys? doesn't matter. I just remember the woman's breasts in it. Yeah. So do I. That's the only scene from the entire movie. It was like in a cave or something. The rest of it doesn't hair. matter. Wasn't she in a cave and it was raining? No, I one don't of the boys remember. is a Katy Perry album. <laughs> no, that's wrong. <laughs> I forget, but I know the cover. I bought it to, and I used it. <laughs> in your gilded chambers. Yes. <laughs> now concerning Gilles de Ray and Joan of Arc. Thank you. Some of Gilles de Ray's biographers, the ones with more romantic points of view, they claim that Gilles was immediately smitten with Joan of Arc and thereafter fell in love at first sight. No. They go on and on to say that Gilles was suffering from erotic frustration because of his wife's frigidity. Oh, yeah, because that's what they always say about medieval times and marriages, too, because women are even, like, they're definitely allowed to be frigid. Yeah, yeah. And they also said that Joan of Arc became a symbol of spiritual and physical longing, and her purity kept her out of reach to, from Gilles de Ray. But to the contrary, it was documented by several authors that Joan gave off no sexual aura whatsoever. Literally, didn't would not did not want it. it did not want just no no sexual aura. Yeah, she's a warrior. I, yeah. I believe that. Yeah, and Gilles de Ray was of course a horrific child murderer who opened the body cavities of his victims so he could look at their internal organs while having sex with the cadavers while they were still warm because Gilles disliked a cold corpse. We're all different. Well, you did you did just shoot that in there. Coffee. Wow. I drink iced coffee all through the winter. Yeah. Okay, so that was something he used to do. We'll get into that. I'm sure. But this is a reason. Also, we'll get to the reason why I think there's also pushback about with these these claims because. I think a lot of people don't do the horrible reading that we do and know that serial killers have done the things that he said that he did. Because yes. a lot of people be like, no one would ever do that. But now we know for a fact that, that they do do that. And then imagine what you would do if you had total, complete control and the society wouldn't fuck with you for doing it. At all. Yeah. Well, and if you had the help of, say, four to five people, like yeah. if you had a team, a full team of people, your that cousins was, and your brothers yeah. that were all involved, right. yeah. like, a, like and, an A team. Yeah. And people that are also covering up for you, just like an A team. Just yeah. like, man, that reboot, that dark reboot. <laughs> oh, of it was weird. Was, yeah, it was weird. Mr. T. I didn't know T stood for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as author Leonard Wolf puts it, it was probably more likely that Joan and Gilles were simply two strange people who bonded through continued battlefield experiences and a shared love of the theatrical. Oh, it, it, it's just because she was fucking batshit 
whatever she was. Yeah. And he was what he was, which yeah. is another crazy fucking maniac, mm-hmm. like a supervillain. But it's even possible that Joan saw Gilles as a sort of project because while he was Not a psychopath, sure. he was also a skilled and capable commander. And so under Joan's influence, Gilles de Ray had a brief period of honor during this phase of the Hundred Years' War when Joan was hanging around. You mean virgin eye for the rapist guy? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even write that. Yeah. I didn't even do that. You didn't I didn't even do that. You didn't even do that. That's fresh. That's fresh. Wow. That's just that. That is what you get when you make a podcaster in a lab. Absolutely in a lab. And I just want to thank Men's Health for Wait, not so hiring real writers. Does it mean that my memories are fake? <laughs> Have I always been? Did you just meet me mysteriously when I was twenty six years old? We programmed you this way, but we yeah. don't want you to find out this way. Yeah. Because so. you know how big of a budget me and Ben had back in 2009, oh God, 2010. Yeah. You guys were secret millionaires. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this whole time. That's why we were recording out of that fucking dingy, dank basement. Wait a second. I'm having yeah. another memory. Was I in a houseboat? <laughs> Whoa, was I Manchurian? You are Manchurian, yeah. my friend. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the wife, CIA. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as Joan's appearance went, All accounts had her showing up at court with a short bowl haircut, shaved at the base of the neck, and cut above the ears, as was the style for men at the time. And Emo Phillips in the mid-80s. Very much so. He's one of my favorites. She was also said to be pretty, but not overly so. And she was average height for the time, about five foot two. They were very short back then. Her frosh. Yeah. But the one thing that almost everyone commented upon, Mm -hmm. and I only mention this in the interest of historical context. Thank you. Everyone from the Dukes who dressed with her before battle to the squire who helped her take a dump said that Joan of Arc had, in their words, beautiful breasts. Show me the titty. Fantastic. (laughs) I thought you were going to see something more negative Mm -hmm. about a stench that could... Come from her nether regions? That's disgusting. That is absolutely had, disgusting. No. She had many of them. They all said her breasts were beautiful. Well, what was like, it? But, uh, they taught, they, but they spoke about suitable, her. Suited, was it suited for matronly? It was, it was like suiting for, like, like that's the term that they used for big bosomed, was that it was good for babies. The Duke did say beautiful breasts in mm. French, of course. But, yeah. 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 That's but, how you say it. Well, good for them. But I bring that up for a reason. Thank you. Some historical misunderstandings of Joan of Arc posit that Joan posed as a man throughout her military career. She did not. Yeah, she only dressed as a man until she gained access to Dauphin Charles VII, the ruler of France. So she so she was like, ooh, I have a secret for you. And then she's like, look at these knockers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah, what these tents be on a lot, dude? <laughs> no I don't way. know. I don't know. Wow. Um, uh, but isn't this the story where she showed up and she, the way they wanted to prove whether or not she actually had magical powers, because they heard about this this chick and she had like the power of prophecy. Right. And she was getting, they're like, they wanted it to be real. Yeah. Because they needed somebody to, to inspire everybody. She had the fake nipple like the psychic in Mallrats. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. You, I get where you're coming from. Yes. Psychic. But <laughs> yeah, it's like this. She had that. Show me the details. Thank you. I, um, but she showed up in court and the king did the thing where, because no one knew what, she didn't know what he looked like, mm-hmm. ostensibly. No one really knew what the king looked like yes, at that time. And so he hid amongst the, uh, his his courtiers and they said that if she could figure out who the king was, she's the real deal. She's the short guy screaming at everyone. Basically. <laughs> but then she, but she figured that, I do feel like there's almost a fear of that. And they're all like, <gasps> like they didn't know that it was very obvious who the king, but then she was like, and 
that's the king. And yeah. they were all like, no fucking shit. And they, they all flipped out and immediately she, he princessed her, which is not, was not taken lightly at the time. Like he freaked, he saw no, that. It's still it, not. It, I mean, like, uh, it, it, it very much impressed him. Yeah. And, you know, I might be attributing things to her that may not be there, but it seemed like she was also, she was a good judge of human nature. Like she, she could tell, like, it seemed like she could read a room and say like, well, that guy is being revered above all else. A king's going to have an aura about him. She is a capital G great person in history's ability to understand her place and time yes. and what it would serve. And so did. And that's why it's so compelling to compare her with Gilles de Ray because it's the two very opposite sides yeah. where like it really was a true believer and a villain style, but they both kind of understood where they, where they were in history yeah. I mean, and I'm how they sure, could affect it. Yeah. And maybe she's just, yeah, she could just read people and people like looked at that guy and she's like, probably that guy. And yeah. we talk about all the time, yeah. how many times we, we see somebody that just born modern, yeah. In one of these time periods. And then they kind of stick out because they have this sort of like understanding because you'll see it was her just her basic humanity changed the entire army. Yeah. Well, at her first meeting with Charles VII, after she revealed her gender, they spoke for two hours. And it said that Charles wept after hearing what she had to say. Apparently, she had offered a private prayer regarding the, the legitimacy of his crown. And she was apparently quite convincing. And France, as Henry said, it was certainly at a low point here. And Joan of Arc seemed to be, if you're looking at it cynically, somewhat of a publicity stunt. Oh, yeah. Sort of a last ditch effort to turn this whole hundred years war thing around. Of course, she later proved herself to be valuable in battle as well. But Joan of Arc as a symbol was far more important. It was way more important. Yeah. Of course, for those listening, the hundred year war was actually fought in three different increments (laughs) and lasted a total of 106 Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How did you know that? I actually just, uh, man, I, the thing was with crayon. He's just <laughs> scuffing up the floor. Yeah, and, I guess I bet. Isn't that yeah, crazy? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Now, for some reason. Now they got this guy, Macron, and he leaves crumbs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's a cookie joke. Uh, Wait a second. I'm made in a lab. <laughs> Your memories are fake. Oh, shit. <laughs> now, the Dauphin decided that if Joan of Arc was a virgin, then she was sent from God, and he'd consider her request uh, to give her an army to retake Orleans. Okay. But if she wasn't, then she was sent by the devil, and she would probably be killed. Yeah, it was a big gamble. Whoa. So Charles VII had all manner of church officials and noble women crawl all over Joan. And they afterward concluded that only goodness, humility, virginity, devotion, honesty, and simplicity existed within her. Well, now, after, you know how they tell you if you're a virgin? How? Literally What how? they do is they, this is the ancient, you can do this at home. This yeah. You want to tell this man like, no, 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 this is real. This would be a joke She's, made in the lab. No, absolutely. No, no, no. <laughs> is that you get the woman, you get on her back, you get the legs up there. And uh-huh. the key is you take a little seed, you throw it at the pussy. Uh-huh. If it bounces off, she's virgin. Yeah. But if it's. If the seed sticks. <laughs> That's a lady who's been a husband. Uh-huh. She's been plucked. If it, and it, not so by you're you. saying if the vagina eats the seed. <laughs> oh. That's like, how you know. Yeah, like Little Shop of Horrors. Like it's Audrey too. That was Nat Knight's first date. No, really. That's, that is fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, but after all the probing and prodding, is she still even a virgin? Well, I don't. You're <laughs> because they they get the speculum. I honestly, I have, spatula, whatever the fuck it's called. I speculum. Don't know how they checked if she was ever. I do okay. think that they literally just stuck a finger up her pussy. They might have, but then she's not. A, well, yeah, well, yeah, she is a no, virgin. Yeah, the, yeah. You get you're not a virgin when you get fingered for the first time. You're you lose your virginity when you have sex for the first time. Depending on how vigorous it is. Yeah, depending. I, I didn't go to Notre Dame, buddy. I, your sexual 
It, I actually, that's wow, up for debate. I weeds. think that's up for debate. <laughs> we're very much in the weeds. We can move weeds. on. We can yep. move on. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, it's like a weird I, thing for uh, them, but people are weird. No, yeah. it's because, again, it's about, is is what she's saying real? Right. Because mm-hmm. a part of it was a virgin would say France. It has France. to do it. Yes. Right. Got it. Yeah. But the king still asked for a sign from God. But Joan, in a shrewd tactic, said that she would only produce that sign at Orleans and nowhere else. Because that was what the voice commanding her said. You got to do it in Orleans. And so the king figured, and for a penny, and for a pound, if you'll excuse the English expression. And he gave Joan of Arc control of an army and sent her to Orleans. Marcus, when you write sentences like that, <laughs> did you think that anyone wasn't going to? Or like, like because I, it's like you always. No, I can see, because I can see the smile on his face. Like, uh-huh. in for a penny, in for a pound. If they excuse me. Well, it, uh, the reason why I would ask for, and perhaps pardon, is because I'm speaking of the French here, and at this time, the French were enemies of the English. It is a Dan Carlin joke. So I would imagine that perhaps the French might take umbrage to me using an English expression (laughs) to describe Not made in a land. (laughs) Not made. 100% Checks and homegrown, yeah, my friend. Made by the old, made the old-fashioned way by bullying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so Joan of Arc was given control of an army and was sent to Orleans. In tow, of course, was Gilles de Ray, who was placed in charge of another company supporting Joan. Now, when it came to the theatrical, Joan had a special suit of white armor made for her ride to Orleans. Yeah, man. Like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. She was, I think, quickly figuring out that the more she played up her image, the more likely it would be that people would follow her. Also, now we're turning the tide, right? We were trying to get like trying to inspire people. We're trying to say God's on our side. Now Mm -hmm. we got God's number one agent here helping us. Super cool. She also had banners made featuring Christ flanked by two angels, which was a design that she said was, again, given to her by her angels. Man, they had a fucking graphic designer. They had a PR guy. Yeah, Yeah, all that. She also carried a sword with five crosses engraved on the blade, which she'd found rusting in the back of a church after the voices told her where to find it. This is also like, it really is true. Like, and there, there was, there's a lot of accounts of people saying like, the thing about her is that she was spooky. Mm -hmm. Is that she would say shit like that. She'd go, she'd like go off and be like, there's a sword in the barn that belongs to me. And they're like, okay, Joan. Yeah. And then she'd like go and find, he's like, I told you how God directed me to it. And you're like, uh, well, I'm just, oh, I hope we're having lamb consomme, right? <laughs> what are we having here? Huh? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of it was, of course, propaganda. Yeah, of course. But the thing is that even the English would say, like, it was supernatural to see her on a battlefield. People, people stuck whatever it was, they stuck the kayfabe. And mm-hmm. they all knew they all had a, like, present her as such. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that the people loved her for it. And, of course, because the people loved her for it, then the king loved her for it. And military commanders even started following. At first, they grumbled, of course, because this fucking 16-year-old who just shows up, they're putting her in charge of armies. But then once she started winning battles, they were like, oh, huh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And People she was fighting harder for it. It's the yeah. Dan Carlin X Factor he talks about all the time. Yeah. And she was good for morale. And some have, of course, tried reducing Joan of Arc to a simple mascot, even though her skills in battle are well documented. But I believe that her true contribution to the French military was that she instituted radical changes in how medieval armies behaved, even if some of those rules were a result of her forcing rigid Christian morality on others. For example, Joan told all of the sex workers traveling with the army that they had to get married to someone within a day of her decree or leave. 
well, you know, yeah, she was shutting down. Someone, you know, she's shutting that pussy down. Yeah. yeah. She also forbade all swearing and blasphemy and required all the soldiers to go to confession. Yeah, she made it all nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it might be good for uh, yeah, you know, keep the focus, yeah. you know. But the most important change she made was when she forbade her soldiers from pillaging, raping, and murdering the peasant populace. Well, that's kind of, that's nice. I mean, it, it was definitely a hard, just it was a hard way to try to get them all to change. They were really used to it. It was a tall order because not only were they used to it, as Henry said, but they derived a lot of their pay from pillaging the peasant population. But Joan came up with a radical solution for this problem. She proposed that Charles VII pay them. Gig economy. gig economy. (laughs) Pay them a living wage. Pay the soldiers. Pay the soldiers a living wage, and then they wouldn't be tempted to act like animals. Now, Charles VII had to make massive sacrifices in order to do this. He had to sell off so many jewels. So that many were just jewels. Sitting there. So many and, jewels. And, and those jewels. jewels were sitting there. Yeah, they were sitting there, and he had to sell them. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Charles VII doesn't have all these jewels, jewels to look, to look at. Yeah. He used to have yeah. those jewels, yeah. and now think about it. Now they're someplace else. Now they're getting paid to a soldier so he won't murder the, your peasant population. And what's the use of that? You can't see that. No, you yeah, can't yeah, show yeah. that to your friends and say, look at that thing. Also, if they really wanted to pillage the peasant class, it's called taxation. Oh, <laughs> it, it, they already were doing it. Now, Gilles de Ray also contributed to the soldier's pay, perhaps hoping to gain the approval and acceptance of the person to whom he'd been growing closer to since the ride to Orleans began. This, however, might have just been Gilles the sociopath going with the flow to ingratiate himself with someone of obvious power and prestige. But as word spread that the French army was actually paying its soldiers, morale spread amongst the countryside because they were no longer terrified of being raped and murdered by the military. Yeah, I bet you eases up dinner time sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. suddenly the people even had a kind of positive attitude Whoa. towards France. Kind of positive attitude towards France. That's as good as it's going to get. I mean, we're on it. As long as they're slightly in the plus category. Yeah. yeah. Additionally, people who had a problem with the whole raping and pillaging aspect of soldiering, they were now joining the army. Yeah, now they're getting the pussies. <laughs> that meant that their rank and file were no longer made up exclusively of monsters. Because that was the thing, is that Gilles de Ray, like we'll get, it was, we'll cover, when he showed up, he's a very dangerous human being. Sounds and his like people, it. his people were very, very dangerous. They were yeah. very fucked up. Yeah, if they're following him, it seems like they might be. Yeah. yeah. And so with a stronger army, higher morale, and Gilles de Ray at her side, Joan of Arc set off for Orleans to free the city from the hated English. Joan, of course, famously didn't last long after that. And once Joan was out of the picture, the true horrors of Gilles de Ray began, which is what we'll get to in full on the next episode. Oh. The last podcast on the left. Hope oh. you like neck fucking. I don't like it. I mean, Henry, or Marcus alluded to what he liked to do with the cadavers. Oh, there. yeah. We'll get it. Next oh, week mama. is going to be a full on like Elizabeth Bathory style oh. cavalcade of horrors that were inside his many, many castles. But mm-hmm. don't worry. Eventually, we'll get to theater. Nice. Well, speaking and of black magic. Yes. Cavalcade of horrors. That could be a good name for our next tour. Again, we're bringing sexy flax. Those are I my mean, two options so far. That's it in the workshop right we're now. Let, we're workshopping. Yeah. It's in the lab. Yeah, it's in the lab. Bringing sexy flax. It's in yeah. the What's the. the if I is, go in that fucking lab and there's a second me growing to replace <laughs> me, I'm going to be very, very pissed. Yeah. Well, this one, we got to make sure it doesn't have that high blood pressure. 
I that fixed was it. our mistake. Yeah. We baked him in sugar water. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. April 8th, you can see Henry and I. We're going to have a good time. Get doing a little it made.la slash disaster makeup and Jago side stories live. Yeah. And as, Henry, as Marcus said, check out our stream. It's every Tuesday now. And so go to our Patreon. I think you guys will like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be at WonderCon yeah. next weekend. Uh, that would be March 24th and 25th, I, I believe. I think so. Sounds right um, to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're going to be signing uh, books on Friday for Z2 Comics. And we're going to be doing a panel uh, and signing on Saturday. Uh, so come on out if you're in the Anaheim area, if you're in the Los Angeles County area. Uh, come on out. If you're in San Diego, come on come up. Come on up, man. We're going to have a good time. If you're in Bakersfield, drive on down. If you're in Needles, drive on over. If you're in Tijuana, drive on north. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're in Needles, I don't, you can just, yeah, I don't know what happens. Yeah, <laughs> needles is the scariest sounding town name needles, I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, what's crazy is the, the spoon museum there is fantastic. Absolutely. Needle in <laughs> the spoon, made the damage made. done. Oh, Thank wow. you all so much I for listening. I figure out what was the opposite no. of Needle. But, I'm tired. But you, you know, know, but you did that. He did say Ben did say needle in the spoon. That's what that's heroin. You were talking about. That's what needle your brain in, was saying. Needle in the it's spoon. It's Neil Young. So yeah, cool. It's going to work. Lab. I guess I in a am. lab. Yep. <laughs> what can you do? Science made me. <laughs> God hates me for it. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail game. I'd like thank you to the goop that made me. Um, and I want to say thank you to the um the Weapon X program. Um, for the, that it's made me because it's again, we wouldn't be here without me. We wouldn't be in Canada. That's what they made Wolverine. Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to. Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.